genre. Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Jimenez. Today we're beginning our swing through the Spider-Man franchise with Sam Raimi's 2002 classic, Spider-Man. Uh, as as discussed last week in the between episode. Um, these are, uh, there's a, basically, you know, we wanted to, uh, for those of you who don't listen to the between episodes, I don't know why you wouldn't, but in case you don't, um, <laughs> you know, I did a whole show called Spider-Man Minute where I talked about the Sam Raimi movies. We never really got to the amazing movies, but Nick and I covered them on Patreon and we're like, it's weird that like when a new Spider-Man movie comes out, we're not covering it on the show because we technically haven't covered it on franchiseography. So mm-hmm. we thought like, well, let's, you know, work, work smarter, not harder, I guess. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I, I, I listened to the behind, you know, the, the behind the scenes stuff that you and Zach did. Yeah. Um, to kind of re up, to rejigger my memory yeah. and that it's so good. Like <laughs> the work and the, the homework that both of you guys did and, and the, as well as the perspective, like it almost feels like episode zero of franchiseography. Yeah, well, I mean, I like, think all of the movies by minute shows kind of are that for us, you know. It's right. where we, it's like, where we cut our teeth. <laughs> like, there's a moment where Zach literally says, like, the ethos of this show, where he's like, you know, like a bunch of people worked on this, and they don't, they, they don't get credited, and I'm like, that's that's why we're doing franchiseography. That's yeah, so crazy. yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so the way these, uh, the Raimi episodes will structure is, um, you know, it'll be structured just like a, like a regular franchiseography episode, um, except that the background stuff, the research stuff is all going to be a sort of clip show best of from just lifted out of Spider-Man minute and plopped into this episode for you guys to hear. So, our very special guest, of course, is uh, past Scott Corelli and past Zach Luna. Yeah. Um, uh, from from 2017 uh, in this particular episode um, to to talk about that stuff. But before we get into um, that, uh, Nick, I'm, I'm sure we covered this when you were on Spider-Man Minute in yes. 2017. Um, <laughs> but uh, where were you when this first movie came out? And And, you know, were you excited about it? as it was about to come out and and what were your thoughts that summer absolutely i was excited about this this yeah. was a mammoth event in pop culture for uh, an 11 10 year old boy i think i think not even i think i was 10 when this movie came out wow um because i was born in november of 91 and yeah. this came out may of 02 yeah yeah so 
Um, I mean, you know, I was already a nerd, even if I didn't know that yet consciously. Sure. Um, you know, uh, X-Men had come out a couple of years before and I was completely obsessed with the X-Men movie as we mm-hmm. talked about in, in our episodes on that franchise. Right. And so, I mean, this had never, I got him to sound like such an old man, but like, I, you know, we were like, oh my God, Spider-Man's real. Yeah. You're, you're going to go to the movie theater and you're going to watch Spider-Man swing around New York City, just like the comics, just like the animated series. And like, everyone was so excited about it because like X-Men kind of cleared the runway. Yeah. And we were like, okay, we're kind of past Kazam and, and steel in that era. And so I like I, how I was, you shout out just two Shaq movies. Cause yeah, that's so cause Kazam's, Kazam's, Kazam's not, not like a superhero, superhero thing. He's like <laughs> a genie. <laughs> we're oh, like, man. we're done with Shaq. That era is the Shaq era is era over. Is over. <laughs> <laughs> and not soon enough, in my opinion. Hot take. Uh, so yeah, I I was in the fourth grade. I saw this on a Monday, I think after that huge weekend, where like everyone in the world went to go see it. And my brother took me to um the Hollywood Theater in Burleson. It is now an AMC, but mm. back then it was the Hollywood and it had like this kind of cool, like kitschy retro. You know, yeah. with like, remember that carpet that movie theaters used to have? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, my, my brother also took me to go see X-Men. So it was like, it was, yeah, I, I just, I vividly remember just like, um, yeah, it, it felt like the biggest movie I had ever seen. Yeah. Like, Star Wars came out this summer. And I, I think even in 02, I was like, this is, this is amazing. This is, no pun intended. This is like the greatest movie I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, cause, and it was, you know, you, you, you said, you mentioned offhandedly, like I saw it after the weekend that like everyone in America saw this movie, but mm-hmm. like, I, I feel like it has to be, and it can't be overstated that this was the first movie in history to break a hundred million dollars at the box office in a single weekend. No movie yes. had ever done that before. They didn't think that it could like, Remember, I remember when um, when uh, uh, Harry Potter came out because Harry Potter came out right before this, uh, right, like yeah. a few months before the first one, um, and everyone's like, "Is this going to be the one that does it?" And then it didn't do it, and everyone was like, "Oh well, I guess it's just never going to happen. Like that's not maybe it's just not possible, you know?" Yeah, um, that was such a juggernaut. It didn't break a hundred million in that opening weekend. I guess it's not going to happen. And then Spider Man swings into theaters and just. Bull blast people out of the out of the water in terms of yeah. uh, box office and everything because we don't break two hundred until Avengers, the first Avengers right. movie. That's the movie that broke two hundred million in a single weekend. And if I'm not mistaken, Endgame is the first movie that broke three hundred in a single weekend. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's kind of like with like you know not to put asterisks on those movies, but like those were by design the cumulative event of other films. Sure. And, but I guess like Spider Man, it was kind of the like the X factor for audiences are like, oh, we've never seen this before. Did right. They pull it off. Right. Let's, let's check it out. And, right. You know, I'm not the first person to bring up like, you know, th- this, this was less than a year after 9 11 when we were like very, at a very kind of cynical, but also frightened place mm-hmm. as a, as a culture, we were angry and cynical and, but also like afraid and we're like, Oh fuck. And then here comes this big escape, 
big hearted romantic superhero movie about, you know, a hero coming and like saving the girl and uniting a whole, an entire city. Yeah. Um, and not just any city, but New York. Yeah. Like, it, it just, I, I don't know. It's almost too, it feels like sometimes the zeitgeist wills a movie into existence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, and I definitely think that's true. And, and, you know, also, as we've, I, I think we've, uh, maybe we've brought it up on this show before. Uh, maybe we brought it up during X-Men. But this is kind of the last, like, true capital R romantic superhero movie. I thought um, about that a lot watching there this are movie. There are, like, there are there are romantic subplots in other movies, right? And there, there are elements of romance, you know, like Deadpool is a mm-hmm. fairly romantic movie. Um but it's also doing it's, it's it's working on a different level than this is, you know. This is four quadrant, and Deadpool is not meant to be four quadrant. I mean, I think sure. it ended up being four quadrant, but it's not like <laughs> yeah, supposed yeah, yeah. to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And and so yeah, that was that was a big thing because like that kiss was everywhere this year. It was iconic. everywhere. Yeah. It was iconic on the level of like Jack and Rose on the Titanic. Yeah. Which and- which and, and and that's the thing. It's like I do truly believe. This upside down kiss in this movie is the last iconic kiss in anything. Period. I don't think anything yeah. has ever beat this. I think I think you're right. I think before that it was like Titanic and like, you know, both the kissing on the on the ship but also like the hand on the door oh. and like, you know, yeah. just all of that stuff was very iconic romance stuff, but I don't think anything has been this uh, I permeated pop culture as much as this upside down kiss did. Like they were still I, referencing it on the OC. Like, what was that? Two thousand five, right? Was oh, it a, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like season two or something like that. So, you know, we'd already had like uh, like <laughs> at least one other Spider Man movie by that point, and they were yeah. still referencing that upside down kiss. And like, yeah, maybe a lot of MCU nerds listening to this are like have their list out, but like I'm talking, we're talking about monoculture. Yeah. We're talking about Super Bowl, Michael Jordan, monoculture, and like yeah. everyone on the planet. You know, you just say the Spider Man kiss. Like, oh my God, one day I want to have like a Spider Man kiss. Or, you know, it's parodied and all the and all this stuff. I would even say immediately, I think when I saw it, I'm like, I think that is the most iconic image from a comic book movie, period. I think the only thing that touches it, grazes it, is the Avengers shot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because like, because a lot of the other images are just like symbols and not like images from the movie, you know, like, yeah. like, like, like the bat symbol or, mm-hmm. or the Superman symbol, like those things are iconic, but like, there's not a like, shot from those movies that is more iconic than that upside down kiss. Yeah. Like, yeah, you could say, oh, no, wait, what about Cap holding Mjolnir and the shield at the same time? And to which I say monoculture. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. that looks like. To a a, a a truck driver from from Idaho watching that movie, it's like a dude in a suit holding a, a dumb looking hammer and a dumb looking shield. Right. Maybe I'm being harsh on that movie. Maybe but maybe <laughs> by the time you get to that three hour at the end of that movie, you're like, oh god, he's got both of them now. I don't know. But like, <laughs> I I li- this morning I listened to there was this clip of Zack Snyder. He was giving this talk at a at a at a, at a school, or a, he was talking to like writing students, and someone asked him a question about AI, artificial intelligence, mm. and the way like anyone fucking uh, <laughs> didn't know it, but uh, not the movie, but the concept. And 
they were like, well, what do you think? What do you think that means for the creative industry for artists? And he said, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase and butcher it probably, but he was like, artists are the filter. You know, you walk around the world and you see the world in a certain way. You're affected by certain things. You, certain things affect your brain and your heart. And then when you make a movie, you're channeling all of that. And we get to kind of see the inside of the filmmaker's brain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's like, that's how Snyder, he's like, he's like, that's how I direct is Mm -hmm. like, I'm sharing my vision, my beliefs, my, my, the way I see the world. And I thought about that a lot while I was watching Spider-Man because this is such a big hearted movie mm-hmm. and such a romantic movie mm-hmm. and a movie full of like humor and heart and love. And I think, and this is, I'm not, I'm not going to say anything that you and Zach didn't say on Spider-Man minute, but uh-huh. that is absolutely everything to do with Sam Raimi. Yeah. 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 It does. Um, it's, all I could think, because watching rewatching this movie for this for this podcast, because um, you know the 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 walkthrough, Nick and I's walkthrough will be fresh. That's going to be mm-hmm. new material after the after the sort of uh, best of clip show we're about to play. But um, it, it was it's the first time that I've watched it. I think since we recorded our commentary episode after season one of Spider Man, and it wrapped. So that would have mm-hmm. been like. At the latest, it would have been like early 2018, but I I think it was I think it was still 2017. So it's it's been you know at the very least five years, but I think it's been closer to five five and a half six um, yeah. since I since I sat down and rewatched the movie, and um, I was, and that happens a lot, especially with those movies by minute shows, because you're like you get so in in the weeds on them. You're like, yeah. the last thing I want to do is rewatch this movie right now. Um, mm-hmm. So you put it on ice for a while and um, coming back to it, I was shocked by how much of like just a goddamn movie it is. And I, and yeah. I'm sure that I said that shit all the time on Spider-Man minute, you know, but it's like, it, it's, it's a little heartbreaking to watch because you're just like, they don't feel like this anymore. Like, they don't feel like there's so many of them. There's so much content out there. And now TV looks so much like movies that, like, you can't even really tell a difference between movies and TV anymore. And it just, it, it it's all just become sort of mush, mush now. Um, uh, and, and, you know, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of really great stuff out there. But it doesn't feel the way that this feels. This feels like a special thing. Yeah, and it, it, I I miss I miss this, this these vibes. I miss these vibes big time. And I'm sure there's a whole generation of people who were babies when this came out um, mm-hmm. and did not grow up with them, and actually grew up with the MCU. Then they look back at this stuff and they think of it like you know Richard Donner Superman, where they're like, yeah, sure. it's. It's it's cute. They thought they could make movies back then, you know. Like sure. that's, you know, um, yeah. and 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 you know that's fine. That's fine. And maybe this is my own nostalgic thing, but like, there's something so tangible it's, about this yeah. movie. Yeah, tangible, mythic. Yeah, epic. Yeah, it 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 it, it almost it it just like. Kind of the same thing with Evil Dead. There, you know, where we we talked on in our Evil Dead series, where it's just like the artists need. Like, I need this movie. I need you to see this movie. Yeah, 
Sam Raimi. It's like, I need you to feel what I feel when I woke up every morning as a boy and saw that Spider-Man poster. And right. I want the audience to feel that uplifting, like, holy shit, this is a movie. And yeah. it's corny. And yeah. we didn't have the word cringe in 2002. No. We've, I think the internet has made us very self-conscious. Mm-hmm. Like, I was watching this YouTube. I was watching this YouTube video essay last night, and she had this thing where she said, "Like the worst thing you can be today to Gen Z or on the internet is a, a loser. It doesn't matter if you've had horrible things happen to you, if you're a victim, or if blah blah blah. If you come off as cringy, or you have like a cringy little moment happen to you, where you make like a funny, scrunched up Tobey Maguire crying face, mm-hmm. you become a meme, and so." It's almost like we're the media is like kind of like how well we have to be cool though. We have to kind of ground this. And right. he the dude says we'll meet again, Spider-Man. Yes. <laughs> and that my heart broke a little bit that moment because I'm like, they could never you know, no no yeah. villain could say that with a straight face in the MCU without, you know, cutting to like Ned and Zendaya and, you know, yeah. Like loser you you know fucking you know yeah right right well and and, and that's the and that's the thing is like you know it's funny there's a there is a similar moment to those moments mm-hmm. in this movie but it but right. as as my wife pointed out it's the it is the reverse it's the flip it's the flip of what we're used to what we're used to is they say their name from the comic book and people are like dork what that's yeah. that's so dumb I didn't that's pick so it. lame yeah god so so cringe uh, and, but in this movie, it's he comes up with a name for himself. It's the stupidest fucking thing you've yeah. ever heard. <laughs> yeah. And the guy and Bruce Campbell is like, that's fucking dumb. No, your name is Spider-Man now. And he's like, yeah. that's not my name. He's like, yes, it is. And that's it. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's like because it's way cooler than the human spider spider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, man. Yeah. There was just like a a joy to this movie. Yeah. Uh, a, a childlike joy that I think. Ramey and then the whole crew were channeling and yeah. trying to capture. It's like th- he wanted this to be a living comic book. Mm-hmm. And I think for better or for worse and better. I love the MC. I've seen all those movies like three, four times, but yeah. like th- they made the conscious decision to be like, we're going to ground this in reality. Mm-hmm. And we want to make you feel like this is the world outside your door, which goes back to the very beginning of Marvel comics. Yeah. But I, I think yeah, I mean, like, I, 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 I we're going to be very. I like, I like the John Watts trilogy a lot, so I, I feel comfortable kind of laying into them, laying into that flavor now because we're going to have a lot of cool things to say in a few weeks about them. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, real for, quick, for though, Scott, who, I, please. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I don't. I, I know you've told me the story, but like, what, what? You're like the biggest Spider-Man fan I know. Mm-hmm. Like, what was your experience like sitting down watching that movie for the first time? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was going to say I probably have said this on Spider-Man Minute. Um, so so apologies to Spider-Man Minute listeners uh if they've heard this story before. But like basically Spider-Man was my favorite superhero um the entire time I was a kid. Basically until I started reading Flash comics like as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um is when I started to be like, "Oh, maybe I like the Flash." Um but uh <laughs> but Spider-Man Absolutely my favorite superhero ever, Um, certainly when this movie came out. And, you know, being raised by a a dad who was like a Trekkie and and read comics and and was a big uh, Spider-Man guy, superhero guy, um, 
you know, that definitely painted my view of all of that. I just thought all of that stuff was like so cool and I loved it so much. Um, but it wasn't cool to like that stuff uh, because there was no MCU. So like, you know, per, and, and even X-Men, which people were like, yeah, no, it's good. Everybody sort of viewed X-Men at the time as just like, well, you, yeah, like it's cool because they matrixed it up. Like, right. You know, yeah. That's what made it cool was that they they're in leather and, and stuff like, yeah, mm. they made it. They made it cool. Um, It's not cool. But they made it cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They yeah. have to, they have to, they have to change it to make it cool. Right, right. Um, and so, uh, you know, I was a, I was, I would have been technically, um, six. I was sixteen, about to turn seventeen, uh, when this movie came out in two thousand two. Um, I was, I was, uh, I had made plans for myself. My girl and I bought all everybody's tickets, and they were all going to pay me back Whoa. like on the on the day. But I was like, I went made plans to go with like my my buddy, um, his girlfriend, who was friends with my girlfriend, um, and so like it, the four of us were all going to go to the movie, um, and uh, and I was I was so 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 hyped, um, and then, you know, I didn't start driving myself until I was I was seventeen. Uh, mm. because, uh, my, for whatever reason, my mom didn't want me to have a learner's permit when I was 15. She <laughs> wanted me to be 16 first. So, um, I was about to get my license. I was going to get it that summer, but I didn't have it yet. So I was still being dropped off places. And so my stepdad and my two brothers were, uh, dropping me off. They were running errands and they were going to drop me off to go see this movie. And then my friends were going to give me a ride home afterwards. Mm-hmm. So we show up, um, you know, this is 2002. Not everybody has cell phones. I would, I would even venture to say most people don't have cell phones. Um, and uh, my girlfriend and my friend, they didn't show up. Um, they didn't show up. Later, I would learn that it was because um, she was dumping me. <laughs> but I did not know this at the time. Um, I just was being left. I was just, I, they just bailed. Um, wow. And... For someone who was 16, who spent all that money on those tickets, that was a big deal. Uh, Mm -hmm. Like, I was really excited. I was really going all out. But, like, they just, none of my friends were excited about this movie. They didn't give a shit. They were like, that's fucking nerd shit. Like, lame. You know, whatever. But, like, yeah. yeah, So, she uh, broke broke up with me. Not, I I didn't know. Um, High school shit. What can you do? Um, (laughs) You know. Uh, But, um. Like, looking back, it's funny. But, yeah, so I had three tickets to go see Spider-Man that no one was going to use. And I was like, I have to see this movie. Like, I, it doesn't seem like they're showing up. Yeah. I have to go see this. And so uh, my stepdad, Brian, and my two brothers were like, we'll go see it. And so we all went oh. and, got, and saw Spider-Man. Um, and my brothers were, like, losing their goddamn minds after this movie. <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. they were like little kids. They never got to go, go to the movies, certainly not mm-hmm. brand new movies. They would go to like the dollar theater is where they would take them sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah. but like never like a brand new movie. So like that was really, really exciting. Uh, and we were, we were, yeah, we were just, uh, I was, I was losing my mind, but then like also it was like yeah, solely pet- by the fact that like I had to like go and call this girl and be like. Why didn't you come? But she wouldn't even answer her phone. Her friend answered her phone and was like, she doesn't want to talk to you. You guys are broken up. 
I was like, uh, okay, you know, fucking stupid God. kid relationship shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Like, I'm sure that yeah. was like, I remember how much those things hurt when, you know, when you're that age. Yeah. Those pangs and stuff. But like what I, I, I was like, God, that's the most Spider-Man Peter Parker thing that could happen to you. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Um, and so, uh, uh, yeah. And, and so like, I remember that night. All I was do, all I did was call the guy that was supposed to go, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah. he's like, I'm sorry, like they, she said that you, she told you, but I guess she didn't. So that really sucks. I'm sorry we didn't show up for that or whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and then he would like, I was like just asking him questions about the girlfriend thing and like trying to figure out like why she broke up with me, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. know, I don't know." And then he was like, "How was the how was the movie though?" And then I remember in one of the most embarrassing displays I think I've ever had with like up here, I just mm-hmm. fucking nerded out on this guy for like 20 <laughs> minutes talking about how good Spider-Man is, how excited I am about the next one because it's going to be Dr. Octopus next time. And, like, <laughs> and, and he just was like, well, that's I didn't want any of this information. <laughs> you know, like it was just Scott. What makes you think I'd actually want to know something like that? Yeah, I was just, I had all of that like pent up energy, that nerd energy of being hyped from watching this movie. And then I just unloaded on this poor unsuspecting guy that was like a friend, but like looking back, kind of more of an acquaintance, more of like friend of a friend kind of thing. But yeah, I just completely unloaded. Um, And uh, yeah, that's my biggest memory of seeing this. But you know, and yeah, that sucks. The first time seeing it was a little silly, but every time after that, and I saw this movie many times in theaters because I had a job and I could buy my own ticket. I never asked <laughs> yeah. anybody's permission. Um, and I, I think I saw this like three times that weekend. Um, and and yeah, because it was like it was also a great escape because it yeah. was, you know, for all of the stupid teenage romantic angst I was going through, I got to go and watch. Like a lovable loser, pine after a girl, and and like get the girl, but like also like you know kind of also also like walk away and like say like no like I've got better things to do you know like I've got more important things I have to focus on yeah like, yeah yeah so it was very cathartic um as a as a angsty teenage boy <laughs> yeah I and I think that plays to like I I love that this movie chooses to hit the the, the major keys mm-hmm. and. You know, like to get kind of Nicole Kidman about it, like we come to this place for magic. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we want to look up at the screen and like dream. And, you know, I see myself in Toby's Peter Parker, mm-hmm. like pro- I think probably even more than I did when I saw this movie in fourth grade, because mm-hmm. I don't even know if I was like into girls at that time that wasn't like Kimberly from Power Rangers. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I knew that kind of pain yet, but. Watching it today, I'm like, oh my god! Like, kind of like with the Apatow movies. I'm like, am I the way that I am because I love this movie, or do I love this movie so much because I'm the way that I am? Yeah. Like, but Peter Parker, Spider Man, I can kind of almost sense or taste what Raimi must have seen in this character. The yeah. romance, the but also the torture and the pain and the struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. So, yeah. Good times. <laughs> Great movie. Um, and uh, let's go ahead and uh, dive into the 
the the sort of uh, background and everything, uh, what brought Spider-Man to the screen in 2002. Um, and for that, we go to 2017 correspondence past Scott and past Zach Luna. to getting Spider-Man on the screen. And uh, I want to talk about a few of the early Spider-Man movies that were almost made and weren't. Because, okay, so one of the things that everyone needs to understand is that Stan Lee loved Hollywood, loved (laughs) the movie business, and wanted nothing more than to be a part of it. Really? I love that. Ah. And so um, by the 70s, he was already writing way less comics and was more out. He was like, had a little office out in Hollywood Mm -hmm. and he was just going to meeting after meeting after meeting, trying to sell Marvel characters to studios to make movies. But the problem is that a character like Spider-Man, I mean, I, it's nearly impossible to make anything with Spider-Man. I mean, he had a little bit of luck on television because he had the Spider-Man TV show that lasted about a season. Sure. And then he had, of course, the incredible Hulk, which lasted a while. Yeah. Um, Yeah. and then all the TV movies that happened after that with like daredevil and the, and, uh, Thor and everything. Yeah. Um, and then that Dr. Strange TV movie that happened. Sure. Uh, That's a thing. Yeah. Yep. That's a thing that exists. Didn't know that. Okay. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, oh, it's, it's, it is glorious. If you ever have a chance to see it, Um, it is the weirdest seventies bananas thing. Uh, It's, it's pretty great. But uh, the first time that he sold the rights to Spider-Man was to a producer named Steve Lemberg. Uh, He was a Broadway producer and his thought was that uh, he wanted to make a musical. Yes. Oh, musical fantasy picture. There was a the, there musical was the fantasy picture. The Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Wow. A musical fantasy picture. <laughs> um, so I just love I love picture because it's such an old, old timey, old fashioned Hollywood thing to say. Yeah. A musical fantasy picture. That sounds like Stan Lee, probably, you know, like, oh, oh yeah, get, I know. Getting the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this was actually going to be, uh, and then eventually they were like, okay, maybe not the musical. Let's go with more of a straightforward approach mm-hmm. about a college age Spider-Man who uh, will fight a one hundred a one hundred foot tall robot. Oh wow! And Nazis. What? Um, and also Gwen Stacy would be in it and would die falling off the one hundred foot robot robot falling off the robot because that's yeah. yeah that's the best way to transpose that scene what right. this was in the 70s this was still this the, was in the yeah. 70s yeah oh my god yeah that i mean i would watch that movie i'm not gonna you know <laughs> <laughs> it apparently had an exorbitant budget and that's why like the film rights lapsed and reverted back to marvel yeah um but they had the rights for about five years wow. i think 
And they were trying to get this movie off the ground, but no studios wanted it. That's crazy. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, no. Um, and then we get to 1982 mm-hmm. when Roger Corman, who, of course, was the producer of the infamous 1994 Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Among that other was never breaks. released and buried. <laughs> um, Roger Corman in 82, Orion Pictures bought mm-hmm. the rights to Spider-Man. Wow. And Corman, who was, uh, I believe at this time, was just sort of an, like an, I don't think he had his own studio yet. I right. think he was just a producer who could make movies cheap. He knew yeah, how to I could get things he, done quick for you under a, on a low, low budget and exactly and spit it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then at this time, of course, Stan Lee was manning the Marvel Productions office in mm-hmm. Hollywood, trying to get all this stuff made. Mm-hmm. And this version, the Corman version, was a version in which uh, Stan Lee actually wrote the script. Whoa. Yes. Whoa. Uh, so so he, out there somewhere, there is a Stan Lee uh, penned Spider-Man script for a 1980s movie? Like that's, I would presume so whoa. somewhere out there. I'm not sure. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's never been digitized because 1982, I mean, he probably wrote it on a typewriter. No, of course. Yeah. So, so I mean, some... who – Somebody's basement or an archive or a vault somewhere. (laughs) Probably Stan Lee's basement, (laughs) honestly. Um, So in this one, this is really interesting. Uh Uh, So in this one, Peter Parker, again, was a college student. Dr. Octopus, his professor, was going to be the bad guy. Mary Jane Watson was going to be the love interest. Mm -hmm. Um, Very straightforward, except for the fact that it also included sexy KGB agents um, and Spider-Man stopping a nuclear war with Russia all by himself. So, you know, Rocky Four style. Sure. Yeah, of, of yeah. course. That's uh, – yeah, that's what you <laughs> use Sp- Sp- Spider-Man for. What? Yeah. What? Okay, wait. Okay, so we've got uh, sort of a James Bondy, like almost exploitation, like weird, like mm-hmm. sexy romp adventure melded in with Cold War intrigue, spy – like it – I. I can mm-hmm. see the appeal. I just don't I, – I find it hard to believe that that could be written by somebody who was on board with like the, the arc of the comics themselves, you know? Well, like, you, have to, you have to understand that um, – I mean Stan Lee – he Stan Lee is often given more credit than he deserves sure. for the creation of these characters. Uh-huh. Stan Lee would come to artists with a basic idea. Uh-huh. Teenager – Bit by a spider, get spider powers, Spider-Man. Yeah. He went to Jack Kirby first. That's right. And Jack Kirby, who was his guy, Mm -hmm. drew up a Spider-Man that was like a little bulkier. And he he didn't really look – I mean he didn't look anything like the Spider-Man that we know and love. Sure. And Lee was like, "Mm, eh, I don't think so. So he went to Ditko. And and I'm sure Kirby was just like, well, whatever. It's not (laughs) like I have time to draw it anyway. Yeah, for this quarter of an issue in your amazing fantasy. uh, (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So he went to Ditko and then Ditko came up with all of that. And – you know, wow. eventually, like it started off with Stanley. The Marvel method approach is that Stanley mm-hmm. would write like a paragraph summary of what's going to happen, mm-hmm. give it to Ditko. Ditko would draw it all, and then with notes to Stanley about what's happening in each panel. Yeah, and then Stanley would go back and he would fill in all the dialogue. Whoa. And yeah. that's how it went for a long time yeah. until eventually Stan Lee was dr- writing so many books that mm. he couldn't do the paragraph 
uh, uh, story outlines anymore. So then at that point, Ditko was just doing it all. Whoa. Except for the last dialogue pass. Right. Lee always did the final dialogue the final, pass. Yeah. Right. But that was everything else. The stories all came from Ditko, like from like after the first like 10 or 12 issues or so. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. And and so, you know, Lee, eh, he, he wasn't a stickler for, be, you know, making things exactly the way they were. Right. He was writing the Spider-Man that Ditko was drawing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I guess that is how you, you do run into some weird or more awkward um, story elements uh, th- throughout the early runs there. But for the most part, I, I think that would make things a little difficult in terms of like authorship, like saying mm-hmm. like, well, who is I, I've always heard the sort of phrasing uh, behind like, well, you know, such and such uh, writer artist combo. So and so says they're the creator of blank, but you know that sort of that hanging but uh, modifier at the end of those sentences. Oh, it m- must be. It's almost woven into the 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 whole way the the business is run. That there's no way you could uh, put a line in the sand and say like, oh, totally, like that was all Stan Lee or that was all right. whatever. And and it's like right. it's almost built to um, give more credit than is appropriate uh, mm-hmm. to to one other person. That being said, that though, it's not like. Um, it's not that somebody like Ditko stayed on the comic forever, or it's not like that everything that he right. did was uh, immediately taken in as like the best and truest version of the character. I can think of, I know a couple. I mean, yeah, I yeah. would, I would actually argue. Like, <clears throat> I love Ditko's run on on Spider Man, but yeah. I would argue that the the comic didn't become sort of like the icon that it is mm-hmm. um, until John Romita Senior took sure. over the book. Yeah, totally. Which would have been because that's when that's when like Gwen Stacy and Mary Jane Watson showed up, yeah, and, and Harry Osborn and all all of that stuff was it's like classic, yeah, right, um, right. Mythos is is sort of put into place there, yeah, right, right. wild. Um, but yeah. so that was, I guess that so, was, yeah. So what happened with that was basically um, Stan Lee having never written a screenplay before, uh-huh. uh, he didn't write toward a budget or any sort of practicality. <laughs> Um, so at one point, Spider-Man is fighting uh, Dr. Octopus on top of the UN building. Wow. Um, okay. Which is not a thing that could happen no. in 1982. <laughs> like you can't like without like a crazy budget. And then uh, yeah. ev- eventually, you know, Roger Corman was like, I can't make this. And Orion was like, we can't make this. This is this is insane. Yeah. Like this is way too much. This would be the biggest silly, movie. silly yeah. superhero movie. Right. Right. So Orion let their rights expire, and then that one didn't happen. Wow. So. In 1985, Marvel sold the rights to the Canon Group for $225,000. That seems low. Uh, um, yeah, a little low. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, and even lower when you find out that it was for five years. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, oh my God. So 1985. Now, Canon, for those of you who may not have – watched the canon films documentary mm-hmm. um which is on netflix uh canon was a a group that uh made really bad you know direct-to-video stuff awesome. like and they they did stuff like the death wish sequels and delta force right and uh the break-in movies like electric boogaloo and oh all, wow like, yeah that's that's them they weren't um, the movers and shakers of the industry yeah <laughs> no and it was run by two israeli cousins hmm um which uh their their business model was basically they would uh scrape the bottom of the hollywood barrel for scripts 
mm-hmm. and then they would make B movies, uh, usually in the action genre because you can make those for cheap. Awesome. And uh, apparently, so so they were really enthusiastic about getting Spider Man and Stan Lee. Uh, God bless him. He he mistook their enthusiasm for competence because <laughs> uh, they were initially operating under the impression that Spider-Man was basically a werewolf. Oh, oh, wow. OK. Yeah. 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 Oh. Um, so in their version of the film, which was to be directed by Toby Hooper. What? Uh, yeah. Director of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Poltergeist. In this, a corporate scientist named Dr. Zork yes. uh, intentionally exposes Peter Parker to radiation, which turns him into a human tarantula. I love it. The final conflict would come when uh, a now eight-armed Peter Parker would refuse to join Dr. Zork's army of mutant monsters. Like a pre-established army of mutant monsters, or is that just something that they throw in right there at the end of it? That, I, I don't, I don't know that, but wow. that's what it was. Wow, it, it actually sounds more like a swamp thing kind of sure. movie. Yeah, whoa, it, it, yeah. How did I? I mean, I, this of course is like my uh, bias after the fact talking, but like the idea that you could go so gung ho after a property like Spider Man without without knowing what spider spider-man entails as a character is crazy yeah. to me yeah well they, they just wanted the iconography they're like oh yeah. spider-man i've heard of that we can sell that yeah, people people know what that is oh yeah right. and then you must be a spider-man so we can do some really gross body horror with it and that'll be right. super cool i mean i i don't i'm not gonna like uh uh demonize that um <laughs> that gung-ho you know gumption i'm you know power to you but wow that is that would have yeah. been a misfire of of fascinating proportions. I, yeah. This is a problem. So basically when- <laughs> they, they wrote the script, sent yeah. it to Stan Lee, who excitedly read it. And by the end of the script, uh, he gave them a more traditional story treatment treatment and commanded them to adapt that into a script instead. <laughs> and the resulting script, this is the uh, fourth version. Tell yeah. me if this sounds familiar. Okay. This script was about uh, Otto Octavius, a college professor mentor to Peter Parker. Yeah. A cyclotron accident gives Parker and Spider-Man their powers at the same time. Wait, who? O- Octavius turns into Doc Ock. Uh-huh. He's driven mad and then seeks to recreate his experiment in a bid for anti-gravity, even though it would threaten to engulf most of New York. Well, okay then. Yep. Wow. Um, so Spider-Man 2 was almost made in the 80s by <laughs> Canon Films. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. That is... The only difference is that both Peter and Otto get their powers in the at same At the same accident. time. Yeah. Right. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, I, get, I guess it, it speaks to... Well, just the idea that like that almost wholesale uh, st- story structure was, was mapped out so, mm-hmm. so far. In, and, and that it's not even where we ended up here in this film um oh however uh, i'm still wrapping my brain around it sorry go ahead however it does start to get a little weird okay so i before i tell you the the other some other details i want to give you who they were in preliminary talks to be cast as the uh the main characters okay so 
Uh, for Peter Parker, they were in preliminary contract talks with Tom Cruise. Uh, keep in mind this was this was mid eighties. Okay, yeah, Tom Cruise. yeah, sure. Like height of his powers. Whoa, right? Yeah, mid eighties. Tom Cruise, like risky business. Tom Cruise as Peter Parker. Wow. Okay. Um, Bob Hoskins as Doc Ock. <gasps> oh wait. Oh no. I which I'm I'm kind of into. I'm waiting. <laughs> that would be yeah. amazing. Holy and cow. then uh, they were talking to Catherine Hepburn for Aunt May. Whoa. Whoa. Um, and then yeah. my favorite bit yeah. is that Stan Lee uh, had actually uh, been cast. If they would have made this movie, he would have played J. Jonah Jameson. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> there's a window into an alternate universe here. And I'm not saying it's a preferable one, but I'm saying <laughs> it's one I would want to visit <laughs> just to check it out. Because. Oh, Yeah. Oh wow! Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, um, we think, and so, we think the Stanley cameos are excessive these days. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, in the in the movie, Doc Ock referred to his mechanical arms as Waldos. Uh, okay, sure. Okay, that's just, gonna, just what they were called. I'm gonna absorb um, that. Go ahead. Instead Great. of arms, they were uh-huh. Waldos. His magical Waldos. Yeah. Um, yeah. He would. He also had a sidekick named Wiener. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Sidekick named Wiener and uh a catchphrase which was okie dokie. I need to stop being so quick to uh <laughs> propose enthusiasm for seeing the I okay. All right. All right. I'm at peace with it. I've absorbed yeah. it. That's amazing, but not not in like a oh positive that's great way. Just I'm amazed. That yeah. that's a thing. This is again after he demand Stanley demanded that they focus on his uh, story treatment. So this is right. Stan approved once again, not with the giant robots this time, but with right. the with the with the Okey Waldo crew um, and Wiener. Yeah, Okey Dokey Waldo crew and Wiener. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. And the the love interest would be Liz Allen in this case. Sure, why not? Wow, yeah. wow. And the, uh, how so, close was this to getting made, though? Like, well, jo- Joseph Zito was hired to direct. Mm-hmm. Um, they had uh, they progressed far enough to scout locations in Italy and England. They hired a storyboard artist, performed special effects tests. Whoa! Um, and then, like I said, we're in preliminary talks with Tom Cruise, Bob Hoskins, and Catherine Hepburn. My God! Yeah. Here's <sighs> what stopped this from happening. Okay. Basically, a quest for peace happened, oh. which Canon made, um, That's right. which is yeah. why it's so much worse than the other three Superman movies. Oh my God, so uh, much more they, makes sense now. Yeah, okay, right. So they they made that, and it was uh, it was a problem. Oh, I will say also. Uh-huh. The other thing that's good that that's interesting about this, um, in this script, this is the first time when Peter Parker's eyesight was fixed by the spider bite. Oh, cool! Negating yeah. the need for glasses that yeah. came from this script. Got it. So um, we're, we're picking up our pieces along the way, then we'll integrate them. Uh, right. <laughs> When we actually get to make the project. That's cool. Yeah. So they, they, they slashed the Spider-Man budget from 15 to 20 million down to 10 million. And mm. uh, the director walked out in protest mm. um, and they, they switched focus to the quest for, for peace. Yeah. Um, 
lost a bunch of money there. And then uh, by 88, um, let's see, they lost the rights and then they got them back, I believe. Let me see here. Mm -hmm. Yes, they got them back uh, along with like a couple of other characters because they ended up making that 1990 Captain America movie. Yes, with uh, Um, motorcycles. Right. right. Yes. Uh, So they announced a 1989 Christmas release date for Spider-Man. Uh-huh. At this point, they hired a bunch of writers to rewrite the scripts um, and they wanted to get a shooting script that they could produce as cheaply as possible. <laughs> and what happened was that uh, they did a story with the lizard is what they changed it to because they're oh, like, wow. oh, yeah, he'll, he'll fight the lizard. Like it'll be, a you know, it's a monster movie. Like that'll right. be sure. way easier than fighting Dr. Octopus because then we got to figure out the arm situation. arm, yeah. This yeah. is just like we just put a dude in a rubber mask and we're good to go. Great. Yeah, sure. Uh, and then they were like, well, do we need the 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 mask? Like can we, can we just not do the makeup stuff? And they're like, well, what else would we do? Well, instead of a lizard, can he just be a vampire? Uh, so in this version, uh, Spider-Man was going to fight a scientist turned vampire, <sighs> um, which I assume is where Morpheus comes from. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I mean, guess there's a riff there involved because I know he was big in the nineties, but when was he actually invented written about i mean because that's a whole deal sure. like he's the living vampire where he has like a like a disease it's like a, a genetic disease type thing not a undead right. type cre- a creature that's whoa yeah that's insane yeah i mean so his first uh his first morpheus's first appearance was in moon Knight 12 in august of 1981 so he already okay. existed at this point right so right. he was not the inspiration this Direct inspiration. thing was not yeah. an inspiration for Morpheus. If right. anything, it maybe it was the other way around. It yeah. really seems they like pivot to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It really just seemed like they they just happened to lead to like a vampire thing because it right. was cheap. Yeah. They're um, like, how many more elements can we shave away until we're left with a guy that you right. can fight? Right. Okay. Right. Vampire. Sure. Uh, now, now here's something else that's interesting. Mm-hmm. The uh, director of this, Albert Pewen. Sure. Uh, yeah. He directed he directed that 1990 Captain America movie. Right. Um, he they were so far into production that they had most of the props finished props and Whoa. sets and things. Yeah. Whoa. And, and uh, it finally got shut down because pa- Canon was purchased when it was purchased. The rights for Spider-Man and Captain America went with the company that uh that went with them oh, which wow. would uh become 21st century films and then eventually would become carol co wow which uh which is which, so then which just... will get us to the james cameron one in just a second that's but amazing those sets and props that he made for the spider-man film yeah. were redone and reused for uh, the seminal classic Cyborg, starring Jean Claude Van Damme. Oh wow, what a what a lucky break that was that we were yeah. able to make Cyborg. That's yeah. amazing, right? I I so this is when people talk about like why don't they just make such and such thing into a movie, and then somebody's like, oh, it's caught in development hell, and and, and it's easy to maybe think that that's just a process of people arguing over rights or not getting the, the money together, but it can just be this weird unending tapestry of 
reversals and betrayals and starts and stops where it's nigh impossible to actually get something off the ground if there's if there's a lot of if there's a lot involved at least in 2001 i would assume uh mm-hmm. that's crazy that's crazy so uh so then uh carol co yeah uh which you know got got in bed with 21st century films which now mm. owned the spider-man rights yeah uh carol co hired james cameron to write and direct a spider-man movie at this point, you know, this was the this was the version where it was going to star Leonardo DiCaprio yeah, yeah. as Peter Parker. Sure. Uh, the villains in the script were Electro and Sandman, um, huh. both of which were renamed and, and basically unrecognizable versions of themselves. Cool. Uh, Mary Jane was really snooty and huh. uh and basically unlikable. Like she was not she was not a fun character. Um <laughs> And uh, at one point in it, Spider-Man actually says to Electro, I'll kill you, mother effer. <laughs> it's uh, that is a line that, in his script. Right in the script is right. uh, dropping, dropping MF bombs. On, right. On this, is, this is this well, is also violent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is also the script in which um they're like Spider-Man and and Mary Jane have a sex scene. Wow. Um in uh in webbing and uh also uh Peter has a wakes up, has a has a a web wet dream. <laughs> um in which he wakes up from a dream of uh dreaming about Mary Jane and uh webbing has like attached himself to the uh, to the to the sheets. And uh, and this is also the introduction of the organic webbing. Hey, well there you go. Oh, that's uh, where it came from. Not a not a master of subtlety, Mister Mister Cameron, but uh, mm-hmm. he does he does every once in a while know a good idea when he hits on it. That's yeah. that's amazing. I mean, I've I've known about the existence of his like treatment. It's a it's like a script, um, scriptment. Scriptment. Yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. like it's too too long to be just like a a, a general outline, but much. And very much too involved for that, but it's not like an actual full length screenplay uh, describing the film that he would have made. Um, and I've I've heard it's bonkers. Yeah, when they when when uh, Spider Man and Mary Jane have sex, um, Spider Man leaves his mask on. Yeah. So she doesn't totally. know who he is. Wow. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, he does reveal her secret to her, but this is only after. Uh, Mary Jane is killed by Electro oh. and then brought back brought by Electro back to life. Of course, yeah, because he has electricity man. powers, right? And so he goes Victor Frankenstein on her. It makes, right. it, makes sense. Yeah, that's totally yeah. Um, on board with all that I know about right. Mary Jane. Wow, I um, <laughs> so I, I'm sure a good like 18 percent of this episode has just been me saying wow or huh, and I apologize, but it's just I don't know how else to react to some of the things that Scott has dug up. Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty bananas. I mean, it's pretty bananas. And then this didn't happen because uh, Carol Co went bankrupt Uh in 95 and he would switch focus to Titanic at that point. Also starring his would be Peter Parker. Would be Peter Parker. This is a thing that like I hear every once in a while. uh, A film that doesn't get made still has reverberations across all sorts of pro- properties that you don't even um realize that like no yeah. no film project is ever uh completely void of 
value of a, a value or effect or of of legacy in some kind right, right. you know and, and not everything is like yodorovsky's dune or something but uh <laughs> the process of like trying to get something made and like gathering people together and get them off the ground can can branch out into all sorts of other things that, and right. so like that this spider-man move problem would titanic have worked the same way if james cameron had done this spider-man movie you know would that right. have even occurred would everybody else's careers that took off because of that have worked that way. I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a rabbit hole that you can go wandering down every once in a while. If you're so inclined. <laughs> but, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But it's crazy. Uh, That's wild. Let's see. So in 96, Carol co 21st century films and Marvel all went bankrupt. Wow. In yeah. at the, around the same time, MGM purchased a lot of 21st century films, library and assets, which is a normal thing that happens. Sure. Um, but when it does that 21st century films, which of course also own Carol Co. Like they, they were sort of in bed together. Yeah. So in this uh, acquisition, MGM required the, uh, the rights to all drafts and versions of every screenplay, every Spider-Man screenplay, including the one written by James Cameron. Wow. And uh, it also allowed them to uh, – they basically had the the Spider-Man rights at this point. Now, yeah. the other thing that happened was that Marvel, because they had claimed bankruptcy, felt that their rights – and the, that they had claimed bankruptcy and the company that they sold their rights to had also claimed bankruptcy. They felt, well, then all of our rights are reverted back to us so we can sell them again. Sure. Yeah. So they sell the rights to Sony Pictures Entertainment, uh, wow. specifically to Columbia. Wow. Was, was this then, the same time that they were like selling like X Men stuff to Fox right, and getting right? Yeah. This is ninety nine. Ninety nine. Sell it all. Keep the company afloat. Type of right. decision making. Okay. Exactly. Um. And so they did that, but MGM was like, Ah, uh, no, 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 no. We own the Spider Man rights because of you know, acquiring the, the assets from 21st century films and Carol co. Right. And they're like, well, but that's null and void because they're bankrupt companies. They don't own anything. Right. Yeah. There aren't assets and, to speak of. And, and so for, you know, for like two years, it seemed like a Spider-Man movie wasn't going to happen. Wow. Except for this little miracle that happened. So, oh <laughs> if you know anything about James Bond, do you remember a movie that came out in the 80s called Never Say Never Again? Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar, uh, but I guess that question is also to any of the listeners, if you remember. <laughs> right. Never so so Sean, Sean Connery yeah. came back and mm. played an aging James Bond in what was largely a remake to Thunderball. Yes. It was – now, the, the, the Broccoli's and MGM – own James Bond. Right. However, the writer of Thunderball, the screenplay, somehow retained his rights to his script and sold it to Columbia, who made <laughs> Never Say Never Again. And somehow, due to some crazy legal loopholes, they yeah. were allowed to do this. That's wild. And now, at this point, Columbia owned many... Like they owned all of Thunderball and mm -hmm. many of the characters and elements from James Bond mythology due to owning Thunderball. 
Okay. So basically this is what happened. Yeah. Columbia, knowing full well that they can't make a James Bond movie unless they just remake Thunderball a third time. Uh-huh. But they could sue MGM for using elements from Thunderball in their James Bond movies. <laughs> so what they do is be like, okay, here's what we got. We have the th- we have Thunderball. We are willing to part with Thunderball and all James Bond character and elements within. Uh-huh. If you relinquish control of your portion of Spider-Man and we call the whole thing even. That is absolutely incredible. And <laughs> so that's what they did. And that's how Sony ended up with all of the Spider-Man rights. Wow. They yeah. were literally leveraging like one aspect of a fantasy, not fantasy, but like a, a fantastical franchise property against another one as in like, yeah, you give me a little bit of your... Of your pudding cups, and I'll give you back but, the rest of your and, chips. And what's yeah. crazy about it, what's crazy about it, Zach, is like <laughs> business, the business side of of my head says <laughs> nothing about this makes sense. <laughs> what makes sense is that you say, oh, you want Spider-Man? We'll sell you Spider-Man if you give us James Bond. James Bond is the proven property, not <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> Like, like, it doesn't does make that... any business sense. Like, yeah. the Columbia just really believed in Spider-Man. And the thing that's crazy is, like, X-Men hadn't even been released yet. No yeah. one knew what what superhero films were going to do for Hollywood. Yeah. Yet. There's – who – I would would love to be able to track down who it was that was, like, so gung-ho about the property that was willing to, like, make that bet. Because it's basically a bet. That, like, this unproven property that we want to get our hands back on is worth more in perpetuity than getting to have, you know, some more uh, tangles with the James Bond franchise. You know, that, that, like, that bet of, let's get our whole hands on this character, I think it'll pay off, is insane. It's, it's... Yeah. It, I mean, it it doesn't seem insane now, obviously, when we've got, you know, the, the six biggest movies coming out every year are, you know, something that Warner Brothers is making about Batman or something that Marvel is making with Iron Man in it. But it then, I mean, when this deal went down in 99, something like that, or was it like a, a no, little it while was, later? It was, it, was, it was like an 18-month-long process between 99 and 2001. And then, it, and then finally all cylinders were were ready to fire on like trying this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like, like the paint, like the ink didn't dry until just before filming began in January of 2001. That's absolutely incredible. Um, in fact, a lot of this, like this whole thing could have just been another movie on that list of stuff that like could have been made and wasn't. Right. Yeah. If, if this didn't work out when it did, it worked out just in time. Wow. Yeah. That's absolutely amazing. Um, I it, it's just I'm not saying that like this specific movie is a miracle, but like that all movies are miracle that they can even happen. If you go even if you peek a little bit behind the curtain of like how anything comes to the screen, it, it seems insane to, to to think that anything gets made, let alone is ever good. But that this uh-huh. this specific timeline over the last like three days that we've been talking about is so so convoluted and weird 
And I'm, I'm immensely thankful that it happened the way it did. And all those roadblocks happened in the correct order Mm -hmm. that we ended up in this timeline, because I think this is a good timeline to be be in, honestly, as a superhero fan. Um, I, I, I doubt, I don't know if, um, the other thing too, that is worth talking about is the, um, the technology that was changing in, in, the, in the landscape of it. I, I think you could have made a Spider-Man movie at, at any point along this road. I think you could have made a profitable Spider-Man movie yeah. if, you know, all of the cards were, were aligned and everything was, was working out properly where you had a good script and people who believed in the project and, you know, people who were willing to be very creative about how to get around things. Yes. I think you could have made a Spider-Man movie in the 70s or you know, the mid nineties, but to make a version of Spider-Man that paints with as big a brushstroke as, as possible, where, where we have these incredible feats and uh, you know, played out across the sky in New York mm-hmm. city in a, a, a believable, tangible way. Right. You also, will, you will bela- believe a man will, sw- can swing, can, right? Yeah. <laughs> you will believe a, a spider can spin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it doesn't, um, believability of it in a certain respect that is necessary to bring on an audience as wide as it had i don't i don't think it imagine because like obviously the the batman film and um you know the first couple superman films were big hits uh you know by anybody's estimation they were they're they're big hits but it wasn't like we can build our entire you know uh, uh studio tentpole system around these you know, superhero pictures. It wasn't like that at that time. Um, for right. this, for this to land the way it did, it couldn't just be, you know, one of those pajama pictures or whatever. How, like, how how do you how do you get it to that? And I I do think a key part in that is around two thousand one two thousand two this new revolution of digital technology, which you know is its own double edged sword that we can have discussions about uh, when we start seeing it in action, but that we were able to make a Spider-Man film that looked like the most elaborate visions of Spider-Man that, the, that you could sell the swinging and the jumping and the landing and the fighting and the, 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 the comic panels exploding outward in all these ways seamlessly. I mean, not mm-hmm. totally seamlessly, like we, we can see where they are, but that it looked real enough to sell the illusion to a wider general public audience, I think is, is its own factor. And that happens now happens in 2002. That's it. This weird protracted legal battle, these starts and stops with, you know, properties being sold and companies being sold and going to bankrupt and being rebought postponed this film until, until a point where it could be made on this large of a scale and succeed that way. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to like give all of the credit to that. Obviously most of the credit goes to the character and the stories and the performances and the director and the, the creative team that, that believed in it and wanted to make just a, a good movie. That's, mm-hmm. that's the only thing that make, that gives you a, a legacy beyond your opening weekend. So, and speaking of that, yeah, when, when Sony pictures optioned all of MGM's, script versions that they owned of Spider-Man. It only purchased out of those Mm -hmm. the Cameron material 
um, which oh, is really? what it was referred to as. Yeah. That was the only one that they purchased. Yeah. Um, and they gave that because they couldn't – at this point, we're talking – this is this is 2000. Yeah. Um, they couldn't pay for James Cameron because James Cameron <laughs> was a force to be reckoned with, with now because Titanic was the biggest movie of all time. Yeah. Yeah. There was no getting James Cameron. They would they would never be able to afford him. This would right. be this would have suddenly been a three hundred million dollar movie. Like Right. Like immediately. Just can't do it. Yeah. Just can't do it. Wow. Um so uh they had the forty five page scriptment that James Cameron wrote, and that's what they started with. Mm-hmm. And they gave that to David Kep, who wrote a first draft that was Largely, they the, the the purpose of the first draft was largely to be like, okay, let's take this scriptment as like as gospel. Right. Show us what a feature script of this would look like. Right. And they did. He did. David Kep's first draft was a feature length script version of James Cameron's forty five page scriptment. Just translating with, that, yeah, right, with with Electro and Sandman and and everything, the whole thing. Um, which Electro and Sandman, I, I just you get those combination of villains. I'm like, okay, it ends with Electro with turning Sandman into glass. Yeah, yeah of, course. of course, yeah, of course it does. <laughs> um, it's like it's 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 so telegraphed. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so then uh, they 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 got the script, didn't like it. For obvious reasons, you know, it sure. wasn't particularly wholesome right. and it's not There's what they wanted happening. this to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, so they asked him to do a page one rewrite, start over, mm-hmm. right? Take Like take like elements and things that you think you might work mm-hmm. um, and, and start over. And he started over from scratch. The only thing that he kept from Cameron's version was the biological web shooters. Organic web shooters. Right, right organic on. web shooters. So Kep's rewrite, it has Green Goblin as the main antagonist, mm-hmm. but also includes Dr. Octopus as a secondary antagonist. Awesome. That draft, that Kep draft, is the final draft that Kep wrote for the movie. And yet, really? as you see, he got sole screenwriting credit. Kep's second draft mm-hmm. was given to Scott Rosenberg. Well, I mean, first of all, David Kep, David Kep, writer of Jurassic Park. Right. You know, great writer. Sure. Wrote a version of the script, the second draft, the non-Cameronized draft. And then uh, that draft was given to Scott Rosenberg. Scott Rosenberg was the writer of such films as Con Air and Disturbing Behavior. Oh, okay. And yeah. Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah. So, um, so he rewrote it and he took out... Uh, he removed Dr. Octopus and created new action sequences. And then that script was then given to uh, Laura Ziskin, give, gave it to her husband, Alvin Sargent, who had actually he has he had wrote on all of the Spider-Man movies except for Spider-Man Amazing Spider-Man 2. Oh, wow. So um, but he wrote on every one of them. Wow. Uh, up to that point. But uh, most of his writing credits, he seemed to be largely a script doctor. Uh-huh. 
come like, in, do a pass of this, make it work right. a little better. Uh, I think they're called um, they're like called like dailies, like mm-hmm. you would do dailies or or weeklies or whatever. Yeah. That sort of thing where they're just like, we have we're having a problem figuring this out. Can you fix it? And he's like, this is how I'd fix it. And they'd be like, great, here's a million dollars. Go fix it. <laughs> you know, um, and, and so so like that's 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 a, the thing that he did a lot. Awesome. Um, and it helps that your your wife is a producer. <laughs> I think it would. Yeah, that's probably. Yeah. Uh, um, so he, so Alan Sargent polished the dialogue, uh, mm-hmm. primarily the dialogue between Peter and Mary Jane. Um, mm-hmm. And then when they took the script to arbitration with the Writers Guild of America, Rosenberg, Sargent, and James Cameron, all three voluntarily relinquished credit to David Kep. Oh, really? Yeah, I I honestly think if Rosenberg hadn't voluntarily relinquished credit, Uh I think he would have gotten shared screenplay credit with David Kep, Um, because it sounds like he's the one who added the most. Yeah, Uh, he added the father son relationship, like the Mm -hmm. like the 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 triangle, the the father son triangle. Oh, sure. Norman, Norman, Peter and Harry. Harry. Yeah, right. Uh He added all that. And like Uh he added action sequences. I mean, he added a lot to this that he is uncredited for. Totally. Um, Now, on the directing side, Mm -hmm. um, this is interesting because um, the studio had lined up the following directors as people they took meetings with Mm -hmm. and tried to get pitches from and things. Right. So. Roland Emmerich. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Roland yeah. Emmerich. Interesting choice. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would have been weird. That would have been a little weird. I think this is too small for Roland Emmerich. Right. This is yeah. like Roland Emmerich directing this would be like Roland Emmerich directing like a Sundance movie. Like it just, <laughs> it's, it's weird. Yeah. Um, Tony Scott. Totally. Um, yeah. Was, was at the top of the studio's list, uh, for this. Hot commodity. Uh, Tony, Tony Scott. Yeah. Chris yeah. Columbus, which oh, makes okay. a lot of sense to me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, he would he would then go on to do Harry Potter at the right. same time. Right, I was going to say, this is about the exact time they'd be, well, or even a little earlier, trying to figure out how, who to help right. that. Yeah. Right, yeah. just around the same time. Uh-huh. Ang Lee, who would go on to direct Hulk. That's right, yeah. Uh, for Universal. Oh, wow. Um, Jan DeBont, who I don't hmm. know by name. I don't know by um, name. Jean, Jean DeBont. Uh hmm. Director of Basic Instinct, The Hunt oh. for Red October. Oh, uh, okay. Oh no, he's a those were okay. He was a director of photography on that. He oh, directed Speed and Twister. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So a um, little bit of a journeyman. I can, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Speed. Yeah. Speed and Twister. I can see visual elements of that working in right, Spider Man. Right. That stylistically, and, at least, it's not so off off the wall. Yeah, yeah. and he's good with characters because. Sure. I don't know. I don't remember anything about Speed and Twister about the action in those, but I no. remember the characters. Exactly. Yeah. You know? So that's appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah. I can so see why okay. they court that sort of. Okay. Good. Sure. Good. Um, and then uh, M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, whoa. Okay. M. Yeah. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Um, who uh, I think because he didn't get this job, he went and made Unbreakable, Unbreakable. instead. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. And then, yeah, because M Night Shyamalan was fresh off of Sixth Sense, right? And and that's that was like your calling card to. I mean, like it, people almost use M Night Shyamalan's uh name as like a slight pejorative these days, but like, right? I mean, he was the. I mean, he was like on the cover of Time or something, saying like the next Spielberg. Like people were willing yeah. to like let him 
take a crack at almost anything back then. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, for sure, yeah. So uh, that and makes then a lot of, of course sense. that leaves us with our last two, the two that got the farthest: mm-hmm. uh, David Fincher <laughs> and Sam Raimi. Um. Whoa. So he, here's what happened. So Sam Raimi uh-huh. came to his pitch, and he was like, "Look." I don't want to get in the way with what you guys have planned. Like I'm re- re- willing to work with you. I just want you to know that, you know, I grew up with Spider-Man. I woke up, up every morning. Spider-Man was the first thing I saw every, every morning because I had a Spider-Man poster above my bed. Yep. Like Spider-Man means this to me and this to me. And, and I think he's the greatest superhero ever made and blah, blah, blah. And like, just really talked from a passion place. Yeah. Um, And then David Fincher was like, okay, here's what I want. I don't want to do the origin story, <laughs> which is ridiculous. It's like yeah. the first Spider-Man movie. Right. It's- um, <laughs> he wanted to do a movie based on the night Gwen Stacy died. Whoa. Yeah. Which Whoa. it's funny that David Fincher was like one of the last – he was he was, he was was the other guy. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because of what you talked about with the title sequence, with the seven title sequence. Yeah. Yeah. So it's – I'm I'm wondering if the title sequence wouldn't have just been the origin if he had right. directed. I I almost I would almost a hundred percent think it would be at that yeah. point. Yeah, because right. that's that's what they're always talking about. That's what they did for like when they did the Incredible Hulk title sequence and things like that. It's just get right. this out of the way. Here's an origin story. It's done. You know, type right, thing. right. Which is a totally valid approach to making a superhero movie, especially these days. But if you're making the first big superhero movie, the first like huge one mm-hmm. and and a character whose most famous story is his origin yeah you kind of assume that you would go with the origin story that's it's the and, and it's crazy because this yeah. was not a time like today where people are like okay we can stop with the origin stories exactly people get yeah. it they know yeah. superheroes like whatever yeah um at, like this is there were no superhero movies <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's like the idea of not doing an origin story is kind of absurd yeah um but yeah, wow. he just wanted to skip right to the night Gwen Stacy died because uh, it was the thing he was most was interested the thing in. He, yeah, was interesting. Yeah, and the studio was like, no. So they, they went with <laughs> Sam Raimi. Um, and that's how he got the job. And then he Way got go. the job, read David Kep's draft, had notes, and that's when they hired Scott Rosenberg and right. the rest of the drafts followed. So I wanted to talk a little bit about Laura Ziskin because yeah. – I I I was interested in who she was because I'd always associated her name with the Spider-Man movies. Me too. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really she, know yeah, specifics right. of it until researching for this. <laughs> right, right, right. And and she actually she actually died of breast cancer in 2011. Oh no. Uh, which yeah. is really unfortunate because I mean as a producer it, 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 she's she's an interesting uh, producer because she has, she doesn't actually have a lot of major credits, like not yeah. really. Yeah. Um. She has like a handful of credits in the eighties, and then she her first big hit was Pretty Woman in nineteen ninety. Wow. And then after that, she did What About Bob? And in ninety seven, she produced As Good as It Gets, which was another really big one, huge hit. Yeah. And then after that. It's basically Spider-Man, like Spider-Man, wow. Spider-Man 2, Stealth, Spider-Man 3, Amazing Spider-Man, and The Butler. Wow. wow. I, I I find that really interesting. Like, yeah. Like about, about uh, a third or like 25% of her total credits are Spider-Man. Yeah. 
and she and she's hugely influ- influential in um I, I know we've both been double checking things on the um that Mark Cotavaz book that they had uh when the film came out that like behind the scenes look where Ziskin is like one of the most vocal producers throughout all of the behind the scenes stuff on this on this thing that mm-hmm. she was just like a driving influence on it yeah and and honestly I would argue that in a in a lot of ways because what you find as we go along with these Spider-Man movies is that there's a battle going on mm-hmm. behind the scenes for control of these movies between yeah. Ziskin uh-huh. who is on Sam's side right. Sam Raimi yeah and Avi Arad like he the power of these movies getting big and he was the uh chief creative officer of Marvel Enterprises and uh he st- it started going to his head a little bit and he started having like like really like fighting for creative control of things um and uh, uh she died before Amazing Spider-Man 2 happened Whoa. and i wonder if the tonal shift between the first and second Amazing Spider-Man yeah. was the was primarily because of the loss of, of that Laura other creative Ziskin. voice. Yeah. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah. No, I Cuz she was always the one going to bat for the filmmakers. Oh yeah. 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 100% and for the sort of the not not thinking of it in terms of franchise this franchise that but in terms of like how, what is the character, what is the story, how do we um uh how do we go to bat for that? I mean, I guess casting specifically, there's so many moments of uh, what seems like the the dangerous choice or we we weren't sure if the studio really wanted to go this way and Ziskin being a person who was like a champion for that um that underdog uh actor person and so like as an actor that's like one of the things that you dream of it's like right a producer who's there fighting fighting your battles for you because you don't you don't end up in any project without somebody who's fairly high up really being an advocate for you really sort of uh gunning right. for you because there's a there's always a million reasons not to have you and a million right. reasons that somebody else is a safer choice or is more palatable right. to xyz it, yeah. yeah i mean it's one of those things where it's like it, you know toby mcguire was nobody before this like yeah you forget that but he really wasn't anybody before yeah. spider-man and and it was it was very much sort of a a Chris Pratt and Guardians situation where it's like right. Chris Pratt had no business being cast in that movie. No, it's crazy, but, but it's, it's amazing. It's, it's insane because he, he was like a schlubby guy on a on a NBC sitcom. Right. And he was like on one of those like CWE One Tree Hill type shows a right. little bit before that. Right. And it's like, what? How does how does that even happen? That The reason those things happen is people really gunning for that decision because they know it's the right person for the role. And then, like, right. obviously, r- after Guardians, oh, Chris Pratt, he's one of the biggest stars in the world, of course. You know, oh, Tobey Maguire, he's a huge star. He's Spider-Man. That marquee uh, sort of discussion that we were having a minute ago is um, it's it's proof proof positive right after that that you, f- you forget immediately that, oh, no, this – that wasn't a safe choice right. in general. You know, right? Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I mean, Tobey Maguire, you know, God love him, and we'll we'll talk about him as we mm-hmm. go along. But mm-hmm. like, the guy's not exactly a heartthrob no. kind of guy. Yeah. Like, he's a very like baby faced sort of like normal looking dude. He's you like know, an awkward. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, he's Hollywood awkward, of course. Like, we're we're of course by no means saying that he is not a handsome young man, a hundred percent. But he is 
far more uh, off kilter and strange and awkward and uncomfortable than the people that they would normally say like, oh, yeah, let's helm a franchise mm-hmm. with that person. You know, let's right. put a, a pretty face on those posters to sell whatever. Um, right. But you can put the Spidey mask on the poster. So why not? Like, why? Right. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> why not? Why not go for the more interesting choice? Um, right. There's a, a phrase that uh, Sam Raimi used when talking about casting um, Tobey Maguire for this part that has stuck in my mind for a lot was he said, at the end of the day, Tobey Maguire was a good soul. Mm. He was, he was a, a fundamentally good soul like Peter Parker. And like you said, that's not necessarily true of all versions of all Peters all the time. Right. It, 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 I would yeah. say it's largely true of the Peter from the Ramita run. Right. Not right. from the Ditko run. Because Ditko, his whole thing with Peter in that, in those original, you know, those original, I think it's 30, 32 or 34 issues mm-hmm. that he did. He wanted... Peter to understand that, like you can't count on anybody you don't need to do things for anyone else you need to do it for yourself I'm looking like, out for number one look out for number one like that's yeah. how he felt Peter needed to be one of his biggest right. problems with Spider-Man as a character uh-huh. was that the time when Peter was looking out for number one it cost someone their life and he was yeah. like no that's not right so, but that should be the yeah and that there right. is an aspect of like uh, course correction and adjustment when you have such a strong voice that is so avowed to a particular uh right like philosophy uh right. you have to um you have to find well what is what is the the version of this character that is most essential and like you said by the by the Romita run is where we actually have the um a lot of the the things that people think of when they think of oh what spider-man is with the harry osborns of the world and with the you know like that the play setting is not necessarily the version that endures and i think if if you're going to try to make the spider-man movie you're going to try to make that distilled version of peter parker like Mm -hmm. the most resonant the most iconic one which is a quote-unquote good soul kid yeah uh, version of spider yeah Yeah. earnest with a good soul yeah there's a that's toby but like how did toby Maguire end up in this movie he'd been in a few films like he'd done the ice storm inside our house rules and he did wonder boys fairly recently and probably the biggest thing he'd done was um pleasantville yeah which which um, a movie is uh, you know i love oh, that movie it's wonderful it's yeah. wonderful and and he he does have this almost um of a different time quality to him that that he he is an old school type of uh, of face. <laughs> not mm-hmm. like not to uh, put too fine a point on it, but that um, the the reason that he and um, Reese Witherspoon work so well in Pleasantville is that they can believably inhabit both of those um, time periods, mm-hmm. uh, which which feels like a similar skill set to how do you ride this line of this character whose origins are are so far decades removed from the time when you're making it um that how do you pull that all together and and sam raimi has talked about toby not just as a good actor not just as you know somebody that he respects but as one of his main collaborators on the film to the point that like when they had gone through casting with toby raimi very early on was was adamant that toby was the guy he wanted to go with and it took some convincing but 
it it took some convincing on Toby's part before it even took convincing on the studio's part that like they'd done a couple different uh, auditions with him and they'd done a fairly legit screen test and had had talked like pretty intensively about the character. They they often talk about a lot of the actors um, when you had your first meeting with Sam Raimi. It was less about reading this and more about uh him talking at you about spider-man for an hour and a half <laughs> he loved to like <laughs> just like let it all spool out of him and and try to try to engage with you with and and see where you were coming from with the role and um before we get to like the screen test people talk about toby didn't want to do any more screen tests for this film he liked the idea for the film he he had some some cool concepts for, you know, what he wanted to do with the character, you know, to make him this like real earnest dweeb, which is all fine and dandy, but your, um, your ego can get in the way a little bit when you're an actor. And when he heard that the studio wasn't really uh, totally on board with the idea of him, they weren't sure about it. His first instinct was to kind of be like, all right, well, I don't really want to do it then. You know, like, if you don't think I'm the right match for it, if you don't think this is this is right, that's not that's not that's not a, a place I want to shove myself into. I don't want to jump through a lot of hoops if I already know the studio is not interested. I probably mm-hmm. won't have this part anyway. I should just move on to something else. And Sam apparently called him, met up with him, and said, "You're my guy. Like you're the person I want to make this film with. And if you're not in it, I'm I feel lost. Like I might not have the movie that I want to make." Which is, I think, a, like a a really bold thing for a director to say at that point before production had started out, but also a really, a really generous reassurance. You yeah, know what I mean? he, kind of, yeah. he kind of just exposed himself to his yeah. actor. Yeah, he like, like he know. put himself like on the same level with his actor. He's just like, yeah. look, we're not. I'm not your boss. We're peers. Yeah. Like, yeah, I want to be in this together. Like we need to make this screen test happen or they're yeah. not going to, to, to choose you. Not gonna, yeah. Yeah. And, I and need if they them don't to choose you, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. That's how important you are. And, and that I, I, I have so much respect for that kind of move. I have so much like if, if it's earnest and it clearly was, I have so much respect for, for taking a moment to not be in the like, uh, you know, safe zone politics or whatever and just talk of talk to the person you're making a thing with and saying this we need this um i i've never read a, a story quite quite that 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 is that is taken that aspect of casting quite that far um unless it's like you know a biopic or something like that but this this was the most important piece of casting for sam raimi so mm-hmm. if we get to the 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 legendary screen test which you can go find online and it is mm-hmm. really cool um the one with the wanted, elijah dishku as yeah, uh mj and as mj he said let's pull out all the stops and we're going to do a, a multi-sequence test one more time with toby mcguire <laughs> uh, and just, we're gonna i just yeah. realized how funny it is that they were between the two stars of bring it on for mj <laughs> 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 like I, I were, didn't put that together in my head before. That's weird. Yeah, they that was there was a button on the cultural consciousness right there with the yeah. with that movie for that huh. moment. Um that they have the scenes with MJ to see if he can play that thing, but what what I guess the producers were worried about, not the producers as a conglomerate, but the studio especially, was can this guy be an action star? He hadn't done any 
big budget action movies. He hadn't done any sort of real physical stunt work before that. There was mm-hmm. nothing in his inherent demeanor that came across in any way where it's like, well, oh, I guess which we can hang this on, which yeah. I understand their perspective, but those That's are what you people, want. those are right. But those are people who don't, who fundamentally don't understand Spider-Man. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You, he has to, this, this he isn't shouldn't just look like, like an action star. That's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. This isn't just the Clark Kenty version of like, well, we put the glasses on the guy and like, then right. people won't know he's a superhero. It's that he, he'll just look like an Abercrombie model. Yeah, instead no of a one, superhero. <laughs> yeah. No one on in their right mind could ever should, should immediately assume that Peter could possibly be uh, a superhero. Cause right. he's not, you know, right. he's, He's a he's a kid who ended up with superpowers playing as one for a bit. He doesn't become the superhero for a while. Uh, so they they decided to uh, choreograph with stunt coordinators a whole fight to go along with the um, the normal type of dialogue based screen test. So they did it like with a crazy crazy harsh lighting, like it's some like it's a weird noir thing. And they brought to him, well, you can't fight in a spidey suit. We don't have a spidey suit for you. But here's a blue leotard and. On the day, Tobey Maguire did this thing, which he sometimes credits to actually getting the part, where he looked at the leotard, he put it on, he knew he felt a little goofy in it, and he said, you know what? I'm going to pull down the top part of this leotard and tie it, tie it down around my waist so that I just have, like, kind of blue leggings on, uh-huh. and then I'm just topless, no shirt, like like we're in a Bruce Lee movie or something. Uh-huh. And I, I'm here to throw down. I'm not... I'm not a guy in a ballet outfit. I'm not some guy in pajamas. I'm Bruce Lee and I'm here to kick all kinds of butt. And all right, <laughs> let's do it. And that that screen test is, you know, Toby, he got all fit and he, you know, goes crazy. You can see him throwing the punches and throwing dudes around and doing this turn to camera that is 100% sells an action aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the despite type, it not remotely having the energy of the actual movie. of the actual film. Yeah. But it but was that, the thing that to, sold him to the studio, which is all that yeah. matters. Yeah, exactly. That this was a calculated move on the part of Sam and whatever other producers really gunning for him at that point that if we show this type of thing to calm the fears to say, even if we were to make a standard issue action type movie here, it would work with this guy mm-hmm. is, is enough to give them some leeway here to, to move forward right. and, and build the rest of the cast around Toby Maguire. Francie Mazur was a casting director on this um, film, but for a lot of the, the big, big parts that we deal with, um, you know, like the, the, the top leads like uh, Spider-Man himself and like Mary Jane or Norman Osborn, um, those sort of decision making casting wise are much more about the producers and the director uh, sp- speaking to or making offers directly to uh, bigger ish names or people that they were excited about. Um, and mm-hmm. in this in this film, at least the story about um, casting Mary Jane is is about finding the right fit for Toby, because Mary Jane was the last role that they finished casting before production. I mean, it was like down to the wire only of only a, a, a month or so 
before they actually right. rolled cameras that they got Mary Jane on board for this. Right. And um, essentially – they, they they tested with – what was it? 25 actresses? 25, yeah. And, and, yeah. and to reiterate again that like testing, like doing screen tests is like way late in the process. You know, like you right. cast your net wide enough and you read a bunch of uh, actors uh, for a particular role – and then cull that down in, in your callbacks, and then you'll screen test the like top few that you think might be it because you want to see how they react with the other main actors. You want to see you right. know how they how the, they the screen the test. Yeah. The screen test. What it really is mm-hmm. is like a chemistry test. I exactly. mean, exactly. most of the time, like yeah. sometimes you get those screen tests that are like, I want to see what this person is going to look like in this yeah. movie. So like they'll do like a screen test. Right. In, in something that looks like, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, like a shot that would be in the movie with right. like a, like some kind of like mock-up set that would look like it would be in the movie just mm. to sort of like get an idea of like what this guy or girl is going to look like right. in this movie. And does that work for me? But right. the majority of the screen tests are about chemistry between yes. actors. It's about the, the cast that we're assembling. Do they work together properly? And so the idea of doing, 25 screen tests with Toby and blank Toby and this actress, Toby and right. a different actress, Toby and a third act that we are hundred percent. We, we know who the, the center of our film is. It, it rests on the shoulders of Mr. Cider house rules. Uh, we have to find a Mary Jane that works with him. So that, right. Like, Cause, yeah. Cause the thing about it is like, Okay, so one of the biggest criticisms that many people had, including myself when I saw the movie when I was a kid. Right. One of my biggest criticisms was that this isn't Mary Jane. Right. Like, yeah. Like Kirsten Dunst's Mary Jane yeah. is yeah, is not Mary Jane yeah. at all. Not like, this is a different character than the one that is in the the comics uh in right. the Amazing Spider-Man. Yes. Mary Jane is more of like a very uh a very confident party girl mm-hmm. you know like kind of like chasing rich guys like she's very much like the veronica to gwen stacy's betty yes exactly and you don't you don't get somebody who says phrases like face it tiger you hit the jackpot without that sort of in, in, in refer you know, in, referring yeah. to herself right right when <laughs> she saying, said jackpot i'm the jackpot check me out like that that is a different type of person um, right. But I, th- I think a thing that's worth thinking about in terms of translating characters to screen or in terms of writing characters for screen or something like that is that when we watch somebody on film, we want to have somebody with a full psychology or we like I, in terms of like what makes a character work when we're watching them or the, what we'll accept. We tend to accept things that we find compelling uh, mm-hmm. and, and by that, I mean, is a person on screen, a character, are they mm-hmm. honest to the emotional truth of themselves in any given moment? Can I understand right. where they're coming from throughout the film is right. a thing that, you know, is the, the foundation of whether we're going to invest in them or not as an audience. And mm-hmm. in terms of Mary Jane for this movie, I think it would be very tricky to do a traditional version of her where she's an actual full-fledged character uh, without changing something. I think you could. I think the problem is Mm -hmm. that that character doesn't work opposite the earnestness of Tobey Maguire's Peter Parker. Yeah. 
Yes. You and can't like if 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 I was a casting director in, mm-hmm. you know, 2001, I was casting this movie. Yeah. If they told me to cast Mary Jane first. Yes. I would have been like, OK, Elijah Dushku. That's who you get. Right. And in Elijah fact, Dushku yeah. is Mary Jane. 100 um, percent. Like and that's it, and- that's the one that I can buy saying like face a tiger. You just hit the jackpot. Like that's yep. Mary Jane. And they, and but in they order used to do her that, for his uh, his initial screen test that um, right before before they'd officially cast Toby. Um, right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that you could do that. But then in order to do that, you would have had to work backwards and cast a Peter Parker that would work and make sense and have chemistry with that Mary Jane. Exactly. That's not Toby Maguire's Peter Parker. Exactly. So, and so I think what they've done here is mm-hmm. basically made Mary Jane an amalgamation of, of, of the married Mary Jane, which mm-hmm. is the one that gets chilled out after Gwen Stacy dies because yes. Peter goes off on her. Yes. Um, because her solution to the death of Gwen Stacy is like, oh, come out and party with me. And Peter's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> She's dead. I don't want to party. What's wrong with you? Yeah. And like really goes off on her. And then mm. that changed her. Because yeah. then she shows up to Gwen Stacy's funeral and mm-hmm. is like, uh, you know, you, you're right. You like made me really think about my life. And she kind of mellows out from that point on. And so yeah. she's sort of a combination of that Mary Jane of Gwen Stacy. She's even got the Gwen Stacy hairband. She has the hairband and we do have a scene on a bridge later in the film. So it's right. not as if they weren't aware. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then and then uh, Liz Allen, who is uh, Flash Thompson's girlfriend mm-hmm. and the the character that Peter Parker during the Ditko era was pining after. Yes. He was, she was the, the, you know, the popular, right. The popular girl that he had a crush on, um, that wanted to be with. And so this Mary Jane is sort of an amalgamation of all those things. But what you get with making it Mary Jane is two things. One, you get the mythology of knowing that Peter is going to marry this girl. Yes. Because he does in the comics. Yes. And two, so you know that there's like it's like when Superman meets Lois, Lois Lane, Lane or something. Like it, it You're has like, extra oh, well, weight. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. Um. Whereas, uh, so you get that, and then you also get the fact that she's the girl next door. Yeah. Yeah. Which adds a a element of sweetness and earnestness to their relationship as two characters, not. Not romantic relationship. I mean, just their relationship as two characters in this film. And it adds that extra layer. And so I think that making her, you know, being as old as I am now and knowing how movies work, I'm like <laughs> looking at this. And I'm like, this is actually a brilliant movie. These are really, really great choices. Yeah. But yeah. there's there's that knee jerk uh, danger with uh, beloved properties like this that any deviation feels can almost feel immediately like a betrayal. So if I'm going to do origin of Spider-Man in high school and I'm going to have Mary Jane in it, we have to change fundamentally how that, how that character works. And I think the Mm -hmm. girl next door childhood friend aspect of it is the best change they made. Kristen Dunn's been talking about her approach to this role was that she and Toby would go off and, talk about little character backstory moments and they'd sort of agreed to this idea that 
she and Peter were very close friends when they were younger and they sort of drifted apart in high school when they, you know, you enter your own little cliques and whatnot, uh, those sort of like splits that happen, uh, that they, they'd agreed upon a sort of shared backstory for the characters before they even started rolling. And again, they didn't have too much time to prepare it. Um, right. So you can't do normal Mary Jane if you're doing this this sort of film, and you can get a lot of mileage out of getting the extra psychological foundations or or or, or character um, uh, choices and details, their uh, their wants and their desires. If we steal a little bit from all of these other girls and create this new version of Mary Jane that's there from the beginning, mm-hmm. I think it works great. Um, yeah, and I think. Uh, this the the store i i love the idea of of this thing they've done 25 screen tests for this this role and were nervous and late in the game um they were trying to get in touch with kirsten dunce as an option uh she hadn't screen tested with toby yet but they liked the idea of her they were they were recording you know sam raimi had uh I, I can't remember what it was. They would had wanted her originally, mm-hmm. and she was going to come in to screen test. Yeah, but uh, the movie got pushed back. Right, or, or but the movie, the she would have come in. She met with, with Sam Raimi because yeah. Sam Raimi liked her for the part. Yeah, but she couldn't do the movie because she was filming another right. movie. Right, so they they'd already they knew she was a, a possible good choice, but she was kind of off the table because she was going to do Cat's Meow, which was the. Um, Peter Bogdanovich movie that she was filming right. at that time. And they were filming that in Germany. So right. this is and all they were, happening. And they were, she would be, she, she wasn't filming it at the time, but she yeah. already signed the contract and right. would be filming it when they would be filming Spider-Man. Right. So right. that, that's like, you know, why she wasn't like top choice from the beginning. You know, that was a, a sort of just the way that the dice are rolled and how things end up in Hollywood and schedules and production wise. Things keep rolling. We're getting down to the wire. They still haven't cast Mary Jane. And they move production of Spider-Man back several months to January. They're going to start filming it. And right. because of that, there was they could see an opportunity. Well, oh, we could have her read for this role. We mm-hmm. could uh, touch base on it. The only problem was she's still filming that other movie in, in Germany. And there was a moment, this like decision that had to happen where they'd worked out a um, a time and place where they could meet and do a screen test if... The producers flew out with Toby to the near the set of Cat's Meow in uh, Berlin, I believe, and right. uh, met up and were able to film it. That they'd set it all out. They they planned out a, a date. They're ready to go do it. And Toby McGuire gets incredibly, incredibly sick. He has strep throat and mm-hmm. he has to go. He goes to his doctor and they tell him if he has any chance of recovering quickly from this, it's advised that he not travel anywhere. Right. So he shouldn't travel. He shouldn't get on the plane and they can't do the screen test. And there was this moment where it almost didn't happen at all. But Sam Raimi called up Toby and they had some sort of like come to Jesus moment about the sacrifices that are involved. (laughs) And like, you know, like what could you know, we this is important. We should do it. And they um, they all got together. They uh, he said, all right, I'm going to do it. Hopped on the plane that day. They flew out to Berlin. They met with Kristen Dunst and they did a screen test with like three different scenes. The main one being that sort of backyard moment that'll come up later in the film. All in a, all in a conference room. They sort of mocked up the scenes in a conference room. Yeah. Like got a little bits of props and like stole lights and equipment from like, like any lights we can bring in, you know, get it going and, and from like other rooms and from the hallway (laughs) and stuff. 
hotel thing. There's also that yeah. really sweet moment where when they show up at the hotel, yeah. Toby goes to his room and there's a note from Kirsten that just says, I know you're sick. Thank you so much for doing this. Right. Right. And and I think that note single-handedly got her cast in this movie. Yeah. Because I think that's the reason why they had so much chemistry. Yeah. That he was so he was so uh touched and open to that that they were that they were able to sit down the next day and be flattered or right. uh, or I mean it's there's there's no planning for the actual way that two actors actually mesh together on the day. And it was worth no, it. No, that's and I, I think that's a I think it's a really cool story. And mm. I like, you know, with the whole Mary Jane thing, I mean, I think they took the character in the in the right place. Mm. And what I think is interesting about her being an amalgamation of like all of Peter's love interests. Yeah. Uh is that uh she like she's this character, Mary Jane, isn't the only character that does that. Like yeah. there are other characters that we'll get to when we get to that and when we get to their arcs through this Sam Raimi trilogy. Mm-hmm. And there's characters who are taking on story points and characteristics of characters that you would never think that they would mind would have for that. something in common. Yeah. Yeah. Like like Harry Osborne, he takes on a characteristic and a story arc of Gwen Stacy's. That's amazing. And uh, and then that's how we got to uh, production kicking off on uh, January 8th of 2001. Wow. So uh, one thing I I realized listening to the, the behind the scenes stuff, Zach and I have similar listening methods. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Did you read the moments where he'd just be like, Wow. <laughs> yeah oh wow i'm like i think that's my job now i think I'm- <laughs> <laughs> yeah but sometimes it's my job sometimes i get to no, listen sure. to you uh give research you know no uh, definitely definitely yeah um, um i always like spider-man minute because it was kind of like getting to you know listen to, to you again without having to listen to me mm-hmm. like ah, i can just kick back and not be like self-conscious about like you know weird shit that you that happens when you listen to yourself, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, uh, but yeah, so much, so much cool stuff in there. So, so many, so much cool information. And like, I, 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 I don't know. I get, I get, uh, I was charmed by like the story of like Toby being sick, but still making it out for Kristen Dunst audition mm-hmm. and like her leaving him that little note and how that yeah. kind of adhered them to each other yeah. during, during the filming of that first movie. Yeah, no, I love that story too. Um, and you know, like I, I love all of the 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 Spider Mans that almost were. I, I, right, <laughs> just because like they're just so specific to the eras they were coming out of. You know, that yeah. were just, I just found that so interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, oh, your thing about Eliza Dushku being Mary Jane that blew my mind. Oh yeah, because that's a hundred percent correct. I think like two thousand and two Eliza Dushku, like that is. The comic Mary Jane, you know, face yeah. a tiger, you hit the jackpot. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. But yeah, but not it does. She doesn't work with Toby at all. You know, maybe as <laughs> yeah. like maybe as like Toby's black cat, but oh, not. Yeah. but not his Mary Jane. Like you just you, it, it doesn't make any sense for him. <laughs> this is just like yeah, I love Eliza Dushku, but like this is such a. I don't mean to say that she isn't this or couldn't be this, but this is such like a wholesome movie. 
Yeah. And they're both of them are just such dorks. Yeah. In their own way. Like, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, yeah, it's perfect. The, the alchemy. It's it's. it's uh, I also just think it's funny that like Mary Jane came down to the two stars to bring it on. I I don't know why that <laughs> tickles me so much, but it does. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was but, an essential movie back then. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, and 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 yeah, like I I just think, you know, like that Mary Jane works for comics Peter Parker because comics Peter Parker so much angstier than Toby's. Mm. Peter, um, which which is why I think we run into like some trouble and why it, it feels so silly in Spider-Man three, the symbiote stuff, because yeah. he doesn't have any angst to like grow into an angry youth, you know, yeah. um, and that that's why that stuff doesn't quite, I think, work as much as like people wanted it to. Um, mm-hmm. He's just not, you know, his Peter is, is angst free, really. He's, you know, he's a, he's he's, a lovable he- loser, but he's not angsty. He has like the opening narration is very angsty. Mm-hmm. Like, who are you sure you want to know if somebody told you that my is a happy little story, right. little bunnies and elves <laughs> running around and somebody fucking lied. <laughs> yeah. My life is pain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't remember. Did I, did I leave it? Did I, I don't think I left it in the, the best of, but like mm-hmm. the, the original draft of this script, um, that David Kep wrote that intro is there, but it's frozen on 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 uh, like on uh, a face of Peter Parker, and he's like wincing, and it's saying that, and then it's like he says somebody lied, and then it unfreezes, and he gets punched in the fucking face because <laughs> he's in a fight with with Flash Thompson, wow. um, oh, and that's man. that's like how that's where that that's. That was the original intention for it, and then it evol- it evolved into this like angsty, like yeah, yeah, <laughs> ethereal kind of like uh, crazy uh, voiceover. But but I also I don't I think I think you know as we'll go along. I love the the voiceover bookends. I really do. Like yeah. they're so silly, but they but they add so much. I think um, mm-hmm. to like who this guy is. Like you get in his head a little bit, and so. I think it does a lot to like bring us into the tone we're about to be in, you know? Yeah. And like, and the opening as well, the, yeah. the opening credits, it's so simple. Can be, you know, even compared to the Spider-Man two, yeah. but it's just graphics and Danny Elfman's score, but yeah. it tells you, you're about to watch the most important, biggest movie yeah. in the world. Yeah. And lucky you, you are in for a treat, but you know, what's, what's crazy is that, um, now we still have those, but they're relegated to the mid credits. Yeah, but it's the I, same yeah. thing. It's the same. It's the same fucking thing. You would just take this and you put it at the end of the movie, mm-hmm. and then you go from those credits into the closing credits, and that's how you would edit this together. Otherwise, um, yeah. And I hate that. Like I don't like well, that at all. Because <laughs> the engineering has changed. Because and again, for better or for worse, you know, Kevin Feige had a vision. He yeah. was like, I want to create the Marvel universe on the screen. Right, right. I want to I want to recreate the feeling I get when I have to, you know, when you would read this comic and this character from that thing and they would pop into this and it all felt like a, a, a living breathing. So you need the mid credit sequence to keep the audience in the seats for the tag at the end that tells you that Thor's coming or that Harry Styles is coming or that Hercules is coming. Mm-hmm. But the main event of Spider-Man is Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And so it like 
this is this is the juice. This is the main course. Yeah. yeah. And it's it just engine it's just different engineering, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um it's uh it, it, it is definitely interesting. And I also think I also think it's a side effect of the new like filler culture, which sure. is like they're not going to have any patience for this shit. They're like, no, 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 no. This is a waste of my time. Get to the point. Get to the point. Um, right. You know, start the fucking movie. I'm here. <laughs> we already watched all these trailers. Get to the fucking movie. <laughs> oh, I just want to die. I just want to. I just want to get to the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. It is. It is. It is interesting. It's definitely. Um, uh, yeah. It. It. it, it, it in, in a similar fashion to um, 89's Batman. Sure. That intro, that that opening credit sequence is also yeah. like, get ready. Like, strap in, guys. Like, yeah. you're about we're, to we're see some this. shit. You know? You're about to see some shit. Yeah. And you're like, I am about to see some shit. This is crazy. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I thought about Elfman because it's like, on paper, you're like, oh, okay, they just got the Batman guy. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't, but he's... He is able to capture the soul of Raimi Spider-Man with yeah. the, I mean, like, oh my God, the Columbia logo with those opening strings. Yeah. Those dark, mysterious strings. And then yeah. like, the, you know, like it gets your pulse racing. I, I, it's also a thing where, you know, Danny Elfman is, I, I actually, this is a crazy, this will sound like a crazy thing to say, but mm-hmm. I actually think he's an underrated composer. Because sure. I think that people associate him with his Tim Burton work, and they're mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, all of his stuff sounds like that. It's like a cor- a chorus, and and it's gothic and and spoopy, and you know, that's that's his vibe." But it's like, no, that's like thirty percent of what he can do. Yeah, and and you look at the Spider Man score, and there's none of that. None of those Burton vibes are in this at all, at all. No, yeah, you know, yeah, he just. Yeah, I think, it, and then it's also his volume of work. Sort of, mm-hmm. I guess we, it's easy to take him for granted. Yes, because you know he's done so much work that is, I guess, unmemorable or serviceable. That right. you're, yeah, but like, oh my god, like it's 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 the marriage of his score with Raimi's direction and Bill Pope's camera is just like, yeah, a Ferrari. Bill Pope's not here yet. He doesn't show up oh, until god. the next one. That's he's, right. That's right. Who he's stuck in Matrixville in this one. Right. Um, he's who, doing who the Matrix sequels right now. Uh, David Dunlap, I believe. No, that's not right. Hold on. David Spider Man, two thousand two. My name oh, is David Spider Man. Uh, Don Burgess. Don Burgess. Don Burgess. Um, who has worked with? Uh, uh, I think worked with Zemeckis on some stuff, and um. Very recently, he did something cool that it was like, uh, who was it that he, he's doing, he's shooting Aquaman. Um, Oh, he shot Shazam. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Which has a lot of those, those vibes, like a lot of Spider-Man vibes. Um, But uh, uh, yeah. I know Um, there's a whole, there's a whole Patrick Willems video about it. So again, I'm not going to say anything new, but. Nobody directs background actors and supporting characters like Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, every. Oh, that's so interesting. I don't even think I realized this. He was he was uh, he was trained 
and assisted um, Dean Cundy. Oh, for the, wow. For like the longest time. Um, That's crazy. Until he became a cinematographer in his own right. So, yeah, there you go. Dean Cundy, one of the best there ever was. For sure. Shot the shit out of Mando this season. Yeah, that's true. Um, He's back there. But like immediately, you know, kid eating the donut on the bus. Yeah. The dorky girl who's like, don't even think about it. Uh, Yeah. I know I said this back in 2017, but the greatest teacher in cinematic history. Yes. And like, whatever you know his name, but I remember every line and the way he says it, like like music. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I also think that it's also how he uh, shoots inanimate objects because it's not yeah. just the kid with the donut. It's the, the level donut. at which the donut, it, he bites into it and the jelly comes out of the donut. Like all of it is so perfectly timed. And I think mm-hmm. about this. I thought about this, too, with the with the tray when, yeah, when yeah. the tray hits the door. Oh yeah, like, thump, thump, like, thump, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like <laughs> flicking against the door. Like it feels like something out of Evil Dead. Like any of the inanimate objects, like move, possessed and moving around in Evil Dead, it has a personality to it, and that personality is Sam Raimi. Yeah, he just, uh, yeah, he just loves making movies so much. Yeah, that he's like, why wouldn't you fill every frame of this movie with love and care and detail? Why? Is Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness such a? It was such a massive hit, and he has not been announced as the director of anything yet. It's bullshit. Like no what? What? We already lost him for ten years. Why are we doing this again, guys? Yeah. He he said he would make a Batman movie. He's like, I make a Batman movie. I just like making movies. And I'm like, yeah, fucking cool, man. Yeah, make Great. it. Let him make his Shadow movie finally. I don't know. Yeah. Nobody's doing anything <sighs> with that. <laughs> Breaks my heart. Yeah. I um, want a new Sam Raimi picture on my screen minimum every three years until he dies. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> no no reason he shouldn't be working as much as like the Russos or Edgar Wright or Christopher Nolan or yeah. Spielberg or any of, yeah. those, any of those big name directors. It's crazy. It's crazy that. Uh, yeah, it's just it's it, it, it truly is driving me crazy. But I will say as much as I love Doctor Strange. And I don't think they'll invite him back to do another one because the 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 reaction to like MCU people was like I mean you talked about your cousins. Um, oh yeah, my like, nephews were like this yeah, is your nephews lame. being like no fuck this this is weird. Um, <laughs> this, this makes me feel things as opposed to the rest of the Marvel universe <laughs> in which I feel nothing and I love it. <laughs> why are all these big? Why are all these big zooms? Why are people saying catchphrases and not calling it out afterwards? Right, right. Um, why is this so earnest? Um, <laughs> yeah, like I, you know, I don't, I don't need him to to be doing that. But like, I just, I want to see him make a Sam Raimi picture every three yeah. years minimum, where he has as much control over it as he does this, for sure. Yeah, where he's, yeah, where he's not because even in that one, you know, he was such a, he's a, he's a fucking he's not even like a big crazy like I'm gonna fuck up the MCU. I'm gonna take a big punk rock bat to it. He's like, no, oh, I want to make an MCU movie. I want to yeah. like, I want to, I don't want, I don't want it to be a Sam Raimi movie. And everyone was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then it kind of like, you know, some people were like, not enough Raimi. And then obviously some people were like, this is too much Raimi. Right. Um, right. I, I also haven't seen this movie in a long time, probably mm-hmm. maybe like five to 10 years. And wait, really? I noticed. Wow. It's been a long time. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. Um, 
so he's at the museum. I mean, he's, he's at the he's at the science lab. Yeah. Peter's first act of courage on screen is approaching MJ and asking to take her picture for the school paper. Mm-hmm. It's the first moment we see him be like, okay, like <laughs> I'm going to do it. And it's yeah. such a small thing, but I think it's, I don't even know if I clocked it in O2 or ever, but it's just like, it's a moment where me, you're, he, Rami keeps you, you are with Peter every step of this movie. Yeah. Like emotionally. And you just, you see, and you, I think, I think that is kind of like, oh, this is a character worth rooting for because he is capable of sticking his neck out, even if it's super small and super minor. Yeah. There is, um, there was something about this sequence that really struck me watching it this time of like, just how good of an adaptation this is. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it really feels like, like he gets bit by that spider so early in this movie that it really feels like that amazing fantasy issue, um, where, you know, comics used to just like run out of, out of pace, you know? Yeah. And, and the idea that he gets bit by that spider at like minute, like seven, you know, um, yeah. is bonkers. Uh, really, it really, really is. There's a good chance this movie is shorter than any other Spider-Man. Or I, I think I know I, I checked Spider-Man two is also two hours. Mm-hmm. This is two hours. Like it, it, Spider, Spider-Man two is five minutes longer. Ask me how yes. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I think every John, I think every all, I think both amazings and all three homecomings are like two and a half hours long. Yeah, I think they're all longer than this, definitely. At least longer than this. I think they might all be like 215, No Way Home notwithstanding, obviously. Sure. Um, and, and, and yeah, and like we're just, all, we're just straight to it. But yeah. it's also not rushed. Right. That's it's just, but, but then you, but then you, on the flip side, you know, you have Amazing Spider Man, which takes its fucking time. Yeah. Um, With bullshit. And, yeah. And you also compare his origin in that to his origin in this. And this is so clean and simple. And in that one, like you don't even know what spider bit him. Yeah. Because he gets, he he gets like 20 spiders dropped on him. He's like, Oh, they're all over me. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, you know, they're, they're like, well, we can't, we shouldn't be making this movie, but we are, but we can't (laughs) just have him get bit by the spider. It's like a bummer. Cause like, well, we can't do it the perfect way because it's already been done. So right. now we have to do this like messy, complicated, kind of like a suit. It's like yeah. we have to just do throw some different sauce on it. Yeah. And yeah, I kind of I kind of remember the amazing one. He's in like that weird room with the with the with the with the web, the silk webs everywhere, right? Yeah, silk webs everywhere, yeah. And the, the everything's moving around him and he's like, mm-hmm. Oh no, how do I get out of here? And then yeah. <laughs> um and then, you know, he meets Norman immediately. Right, something of a scientist myself. Says myself, Ebby. Yeah, this like this. This is in a. I, I brought this up with Garrett with with when I was on New Republic Archives and we were talking about Attack of the Clones, where this movie is just like meme after meme after meme after meme. Yeah, and like it's the flip side of like, yeah, maybe these movies are cringy and corny or whatever, but you remember every single moment. Yeah, and because it's big and epic, and like I don't know if you can do that with a lot of movies made now because they're trying so too hard to be grounded and normal. And like, like you said, kind of boring. Right. I, it was all, I also made the observation um, to, to Bethany while we were watching this was that like um, this movie is a lot like 
Revenge of the Sith in that, like, you watch it and you're like, Jesus Christ, every scene is a meme. Like, every yeah. scene is a meme that I've seen that, like, went viral and blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, but then you look at, like, Spider-Man 3 and, like, that's different. That's like Attack of the Clones where it's like, well, the whole movie is a meme. Like, sure. it's, yeah. it's not <laughs> – yeah. there are no, like, singular elements of the movie that people are like, that's a weird thing to say or, like, that, this is funny or what. It's like the whole movie is just like, wild shit. Like, it, like oh, yeah. <laughs> just like this movie's nuts. The one um, that blew my mind today was uh, en- en- Enrique – running yeah. out of the diner and I'm like yeah. oh that's why because like the meme is like Mary Jane defending Peter because he looks like a little sad boy but like right the actual context is like not that at all right 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 well oh funny you should say that there's also the meme from the end of the movie the like tell me the truth I can I can I can handle it oh right yeah and she doesn't even fucking say that and what's crazy is if you look up like um you know like that meme wikipedia the uh know your meme is the site yeah yeah. you look up any meme and it tells you like where it started like who was the first person to do it like you know what user on reddit or whatever and and also like where did it come from and if you go to the know your meme page for that meme it'll be like this is a very famous line that mary jane says to peter parker in 2002 spider-man it's like no she fucking doesn't she doesn't yeah. even say that line they it's made the it Luke, up I'm for your the father. meme structure like that's it yeah yeah crazy it's it you it's like yeah like you remember it because you but even though that's not you know you remember a, a lot or you remember something that didn't yeah. happen but you yeah. remember it very strongly like, oh yeah i know that meme or i know that right. moment yeah that's uh, um, I, 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 I that's the uh, Nelson Mandela effect. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> I I love. I think a lot of comic book movies forget to like keep your hero and your villain on poles of each mm-hmm. other, mm-hmm. and or, you know, like on a, on separate but equal, yeah, separate but like you know, uh, tracks. Mm-hmm. And I love that Peter Power finds Peter, right. but Norman chases Power down and hunts it. Because because he has to he he's because desperate he has to. yeah he's desperate right but I do like that it happens on the same night yeah that's it's beautiful. so like and that's the kind of thing where people would roll their eyes and be like ugh God Did that really happen it's just too coincidental for people I was like how- no it wouldn't really fucking happen none of this would really fucking happen this is a movie like oh how convenient they just yeah, have right. to do it on the same yeah it's right like, that would yes be a, I I guarantee you if you look up the cinema sins video for this movie that that will be one of the sins is that oh how convenient that they both get their powers on the same night yeah and it's a bummer because you know i remember the russo brothers in particular were giving quotes a lot of time like oh yeah we try to like make our movie cinema sins proof and we go back through and like check to make sure it all checks out and it's like well like fuck load of good it did you know like yeah there you still have cinema sins videos devoted to About, your movies yeah and yeah but like the but the the, the beauty you know we're watching a movie this doesn't right. you know we want we want beauty we want uh metaphor and like stuff to sync up and like, right theatricality and, the exact, and theatricality know. yeah 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 fate right right absolutely uh, man yeah i mean like yeah defoe great so good. I love. I love the way that he he uh, talks to Peter. Like this sort of, <laughs> this the like. Wow, to have a son like you, just oh, like that. Son like that you. whole vibe. Like, oh man, 
every time he like just walks straight past Harry. Yeah. And like puts his hand and like, wow, you're a good boy. And he's just like, there he is. There he my, is. My favorite boy in the whole city. My favorite guy <laughs> in New York City. <laughs> Harry, take a picture of me and the special science boy. <laughs> okay, Dad. I'm going to shake his hand, something I've never done with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. The part where he's like, at graduation, where he's like, well, it's not the first time I've been proven wrong. <laughs> <laughs> brutal. Absolutely brutal. Um, so kind of uh, cool, cool stuff. You know, like watching this, I, I couldn't help but now think. One thing I do like about No Way Home is it kind of it, it, it links everything together. Yeah. Like that movie's so good because No Way Home is is part is Toby's Peter's story too. Yeah. Like n- not not to the extent that it's that it's Tom Holland's Spider-Man story, but like right. so I say that to say when he gets when he's when you know after the big fight with Flash and he stands up on the building and he's getting ready to shoe webbing for the first time, I thought it's a leap of faith. Yeah. Yeah. This is his. This is his moment. This is his. What's up, danger? Right. Of like, <laughs> and of course, because it's Sam Raimi, it ends with him slamming into the side <laughs> of the building yeah. and squeaking down it. <laughs> and he says earnestly, you know, to himself, "No one's watching but God, Raimi, and the, us, the audience." And Peter says, "Tally ho!" <laughs> yes. I love that. He's a dork. <clears throat> I love that. And I and I love him running across the rooftops, that whole that whole sequence and and it just it feels like a movie that existed in Sam Raimi's heart his whole life. And mm-hmm. it was just bursting forth. Like, yeah. you know? Yeah, no. And like I mean like this has also been memed and like I love it, but you know, like the 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 woo, the scream. Yeah. You know, the joy and yeah. like, I, 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 that's, I mean, I love that moment in the first Iron Man too, where we get to see Tony feeling joyful about like, I'm fucking flying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this is crazy. I, I think we, we, we started losing that as these became more run of the mill pedestrian, like, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, there's a Hulk. Yeah. I mean, you never see Spider-Man excited like Tom Holland, Spider Man is not excited that he's like doing Spider Man moves, you know? No, because he's already he's, kind of, that kind of happened off screen, which is which is you know uh, its own set of issues, I guess. Um, mm. But we'll get there when we get there. The the no oh, origin sure. thing, which it's like mm. it's it's you know it's like it, it it's it's tough because it's tough to weigh your options there because it's like yeah I don't know that we need the origin every time, but also. I wonder if you can do it in seven minutes, you know, like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, a big because a, a big thing that that Tom Holland's Peter never gets to have is his relationship with Uncle Ben. Right. If there even really was much. And we don't even know how much Uncle Ben has anything to do with his origin as Spider-Man, you know, like, yeah. we're not really sure what his connection is because. You know, as No Way Home does, like, No Way Home basically resets the status quo as Aunt May being his Uncle Ben in a lot of ways. Yeah. She um, she gives the great power, great responsibility. Line. Right, right. So, and so, yeah. like, okay, so, like, Civil War, that's where that Peter's journey starts. 
And his the goal of that is like we want Spider Man to be in the MCU. Right. That's it. That was the goal. Right. How do we get Spider Man in the MCU? Okay, the Sokovia Accords. Oh, I think I know a guy, cut to Queens, right. you know, left hand free. Right. And so like we never really get that visceral like this is I am Spider Man. Right. And again, like by design, you know, that's not a fault. But it's just like it takes a while for us to find that guy's rudder. Maybe even until No Way Home. Yeah, because he he says, um, what 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 is what is the weird fucking if, stupid roundabout way when you see people when you see something you got to do and you don't do it, you're just it's as your bad fault as, when bad stuff happens. It's your fault when bad. St- and Tony's like, that sounds healthy. Let's go to <laughs> let's go to Beirut or wherever the fuck. Yeah. <laughs> You're gonna you're gonna fist fight a bunch of forty year old men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but that's God. that is him saying it that way in the stupidest yeah. way possible. Um, is is also because with great power comes great responsibility is cheesy. It's yeah cringe. Um, and so like, well, can't do that. Can't it sounds can't like have a, him just say the thing. You know, it sounds like a movie line. It sounds like some something someone would say in a movie. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, I mean, Cliff Robertson, Rosemary Harris, be perfect, iconic. I don't know that I've ever seen a better old man performance. Just, just like nothing flashy about it. Just, just a, just a down the middle, like normal old man performance. More than Uncle Ben reading the newspaper. And being like, even computer analysts need, and even even computers need uh, analyzing these days. Like, perfect. That whole thing is just that is the most old man logic yeah. thing, you know? Which where where it's like <laughs> he's I don't, I don't know, like he's he's like even even the computers need analyzing yeah. these day these days. What does that even mean, man? Like, you know? Yeah, but it's. It, it's it makes sense yeah. in his head because he's an old man, you know. Yeah, it's just they make him like any of the shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> computer. I really, yeah, that may being and watching this now as an adult, his that little again, it's so small, it's so it's so minute, but it's effective. Where he's like, yeah, you know, May, you know, they let me go from the factory, you know, what what is it? Minimizing people, maximizing profits. Yeah, and now I was like, God, that ain't that just the way, you know? And yeah, like, right, oh. yeah. That, that also, fuck, nothing's changed. It's gotten worse. Nothing's changed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, him calling Peter Michelangelo. Yeah. And, like, there's meatloaf and veggies in the fridge. Like, well, oh, that's... calling him Michelangelo and then passive-aggressively calling him Michelangelo yeah, on the yeah. note. <laughs> hey, dummy. Yeah. Because he's like, he was like, I was calling you Michelangelo because we were going to paint. Well, I painted it without you. But I'm going to remind you of that fact by calling you Michelangelo <laughs> in this note. Yeah. It. <laughs> It really breaks my heart that we, we got because like I think that speaks to the three of them and their chemistry is like I wish I I wanted to see them in their prime before this stuff happened you know yeah because you can feel the love that the three of them have for each other oh yeah yeah absolutely um, this is also you know the only movie that references uh, Peter's parents at all. Like even yeah. even like and and they don't really like you know you have Norman being like your parents must be very proud I live with my aunt and uncle they are very proud and then mm-hmm. later like I know I'm not your father then stop pretending to be those are the mm-hmm. only references to Peter's actual birth parents well, yeah ever 
in in the Raimi trilogy, I believe. Right. Yeah. 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 And there's something so kind of realistic about that in a way. I think, you know, Toby's he's really good in that moment because he's like, I live with my aunt and uncle. Yes, they are proud. It's it's like it's cordial, but there's also a little bit of defensiveness of like, I've said this hundreds of times. Right. You know, right. Like they're my family, and and you're like, okay, yeah, that happens in real life. Like, pe- you know, parents die or parents leave. Sometimes when you're very young and like emotionally, these are this is my family, right? But it's also there's also an added element of like I'm so far beyond the kid who lost their parents at this mm-hmm. point that like I'm not even gonna be like I'm sure wherever they are, I'm sure they are. You know, like I, you know, yeah. that it, it's not even that. It's like no, no, no. Parents don't matter. Like, I barely know them. Yeah. I love my it's, aunt and It's uncle. all about my aunt and uncle. Yeah. And, like, and yeah, sure. We, we'll talk We'll talk about, well, you know, 2021 us will talk about how the amazing movies do the opposite of that. Yes. And almost, like, fetishize his, not even his parents, his dad, to be honest. Most, yeah, uh, his, his dad. Yeah. N- yeah. N- his, Naria, his- Naria word. Yeah, his mom is fetishized in like a in in that like sort of like perfect innocent angel kind of oh, way. My perfect mummy, you know, like just like because she's in the flashbacks. Yeah, and she she doesn't ever do anything wrong, and and she's like you know sad that she has to do this, and like yeah, what and it's the dad driving the show the whole we have time. To, we have to go, May. Yeah, Mary, Mary. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh man. It's fucking yeah. We'll talk about those uh, <laughs> no, in a few sure. weeks. Or no, Scott, we already did. That's well, we did, but maybe right. they haven't heard it. That's true. Yeah. Uh, oh, I'd never noticed this before, but like, okay, so again, perfect, beautiful girl next door, young teens love scene, lovers. You know, like Peter's taking out the trash. MJ's parents are fighting. It's like, bet you did you hear that? And he's like, uh, oh, I love the part where she's like, your, your aunt and uncle don't don't yell. Like, oh, they, they can yell. If, they can yell pretty good when they want to. Yeah, <laughs> it's good. Uh, so you know that scene's beautiful, and like you know, it cried like a baby when you played Cinderella, mm-hmm. all that. I but, mean, and, and it's the scene that they auditioned Mary Jane with, the one that he flew to Germany to, to uh, do with her in a conference room. That's um, great. Yeah, but something I did never notice before is Flash comes. Uh, with his new car, right? He's like, "Hey, check out the new rolls or whatever, wherever the Bentley or whatever." And then <laughs> ADR off. He's like, "Yeah, it was an early birthday. It was a birthday present." And I'm like, "Wait, did he get beat up by Peter on his birthday?" <laughs> That's a bummer. That's great, but he got a new car. Yeah, but but I think it goes back to what you're saying about romance. Is like, I guess like, when I think of the big love stories. You know, because like you know, uh, uh, Peter has MJ in the Homecoming movies, and there's like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, 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 Captain America and Peggy Carter, uh, Tony Stark and and Pepper. Mm-hmm. But like, there's just so much. I remember, I remember reading that like Raimi's romantic the the hit that that's what won Kristen Dunst over artistically mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. like, oh, he's just I can just hear the romance and the passion that he has for these characters. Like I'm I can this I can do and. Yeah, I love yeah. that scene. Yeah, because it, it's so interesting. Because I think the thing that makes the best iconic romances is the the that thing where they have they have to have crazy chemistry, right? Mm-hmm. But they also need to have something that's holding them back from each other in one way right. or another. Which is why when you look at the MCU, 
the most romantic romance in the MCU is Steve and Peggy, right? Right. Because I'm your superior. I'm technically your superior officer. Like you know, like I you know there there is an element yeah. of like no 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 no, no. we th- this cannot okay. happen, and then it doesn't get to happen, right? Yeah. And that is in itself very romantic. Yeah, um, the ache of right. like they're two ships in the night never quite meeting. Right. Until the very end when he magically gets to. Right. Whereas Peter and MJ um, in in the Homecoming movies, right? Mm. Or Michelle. And I, I, I don't want to call her Zendaya because that sounds like, but like it's easier than to call her MJ in this context. You That's know what true. I mean? That's true. Michelle. I'll say Michelle. So sure. Peter and Michelle, <laughs> there's nothing holding them back from dating each other other mm-hmm. than uh, her vibe, I guess. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Ned, she's written this big old book about slavery. I don't want to bother. <laughs> yeah. It, so, so like, there's nothing romantic about them falling for each other because there's nothing holding them back. You know. Yeah. You're um, just watching two teens slowly realize it. Like, oh, we can kiss anytime we want. Let's, yeah. Let's do yeah, that. Yeah. We have we have feelings. Um. That's it. You know. That's not romantic. That's just. Yeah. I guess. I guess that's how yeah. two teenagers date sometimes. You know. And you know. Uh, not to put this in the universe, but at the time of recording, we know that Tom Holland and Zendaya have real life uh, chemistry. So right. that that car- that carries a lot. That 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 you know that helps. Yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see if Zendaya comes back for the next Spider Man, because if she does, then we have it. Then we know what they had. Oh, they, that's good. But yeah. she doesn't, and he's like, ah, she's here. I could talk to her. I could do, but then the I things can't. that happened. Oh no! I'm like, that's good. That then, that's Spider Man. Then we have like some sweeping Spider Man romance going on. Mm-hmm. That's some good it's shit. Like, life so. keeps putting him, putting her in front of him because they're meant for each other, but he can't. Right, it's gone. Right, he, and it's for her. Right, it's but it's also to if she knew, she'd be pissed at him for not doing it. Yeah. So there's also oh, that element. Yeah. God, I want to I, I want to like move on so bad because it kind of breaks my heart a little bit that we haven't and probably will never see a a, a move a comic book accurate version of the Mary Jane that you can read in the comics. Like, you know, sure. the jet setting cool New York model. Right, right, right. Yeah, but like also, eh. You have comics. You have thousands and thousands of comics. Yeah, like, and it's also like I don't know if that's the right character uh, in in today's day and age. You know, like that's yeah, yeah. I don't know that uh, I would have been into it as a as a if you were going to do the love triangle thing in like this era, mm-hmm. um, the early two thousands era. But like, oh, even man. as soon as we got to Amazing Spider Man, we were like, I don't know, I don't know. Like, you know, we we talk about it in Spider in Amazing Spider Man two, the the right, cut yeah. Shailene Woodley scenes, and we're like, I don't yeah. know, I don't know if they needed to do that. Cares, you know, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe it was right that they cut it out. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I just had this flash image in my head. So she's such a you know she's so good as Yelena, and you know I'm I'm glad that happened. But like Florence Pugh as that kind of like cool it girl MJ, yeah. That'd be good. Ab- absolutely. That that is that is absolutely uh, a a vibe. Definitely. Yeah. She has, she could say you know that that's like that's she has face a tiger you hit the jackpot energy. Yeah. Maybe not quite um, as much as Eliza Dushku, but yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> I don't perfect. think anyone's had that vibe more than Eliza Dushku. No. Anyone who's seen the new guy knows. Yeah. Oh, um, 
something I never also noticed before. Uh, the Spider-Man theme is a folk song in this universe. Mm-hmm. Because we hear, we see the busker playing a version of it. Yeah. Where it's like, maybe we should give him one big hug. Look yeah. out. Here comes the spider. And then in Spider-Man 2, we hear the lady with the violin play a version that's closer to the version that we know. Right. And folk music is like sort of characterized by songs that are passed person to person mm-hmm. and never written down. Sometimes you don't even know who wrote some of the big, like, important folk songs, but it's carried over and it grows. And so it's almost like so uh, to a lot of superhero. Another common criticism of, of superhero movies, but in particular, the MCU is like they're defenders of the status quo. <clears throat> mm-hmm. They're fascists. They're they're helping the government. They're helping Stark Industries and all this stuff. And without even trying to or making a point of it, Raimi Spider-Man is a hero of the people. Yeah. Like, Norman is an industrialist. Right. When Norman says, think of what we can do together. Yeah. As a, as a kid, I never really thought about that. I never, like, oh, he just means bad guy stuff. But what Norman wants is probably fascism. Right. Right. Power. He right. is in control because he has more power than everyone else. And it, Peter inherently doesn't want that. It even goes further than that because mm-hmm. it is the reason why, like, the, the, the scenario that J. Jonah Jameson wants for Spider-Man is mm-hmm. reveal your identity, become a police officer, work with the government. Do, yeah. do, why do, do you wear a mask? Yeah, take, take orders, do what you're told. Spider-Man is like, no, I'm going to wear a mask. I'm not going to let anyone know who I am. I'm just going to do good. But in doing so, he is being hated by the people in power. Yeah. The media. Who are like, no, Norman. you're not. You're not. You're helping the wrong people. You should be helping us, not them. Like the police? Yes. Right. That's, they all hate Spider-Man because Spider-Man... You know, and, 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 you know, they, they even reveal this for J. Jonah Jameson, you know, in the comics. They hate mm-hmm. Spider-Man because he's what they think they can't be. Right. Yeah. Which is just a good person doing good things and not wanting anything in return. Yeah. Not needing power or money. Right. Or adoration. Right. He's just doing it. He's helping. He's choosing to intervene and help individual people when he sees it happening. Right. And they hate that because it makes them feel bad about themselves. Right. It, it reveals their own like, uh, like, like there's that great moment where, you know, the, the burning building and the cops like, hey, you're not going anywhere. But then his better nature, his human nature overrides his badge and his position. Right. And just enough for him to be like, get out of here. Go. You know, it's like, I'll be here when you get back. I'm not coming back, chief. And yeah, you're like, ah, uh, yeah. And you're like, it's. It's just enough of like you're like oh this that would never happen in the real world but yeah maybe but it happened it gets to happen in this movie but yeah that that is why he is considered a public menace and it's the reason why I'm so excited for this next era of Spider-Man because yeah. we can get back to public menace Spider-Man because mm-hmm. he doesn't have Tony Stark anymore hanging over no. his shoulder he doesn't have anyone to help him he's just himself a guy a kid in a mask doing good and that is going to rub people the wrong way because it always does. Right. Yeah. It's gonna have damage control on his ass. Yep. yep. I'm so excited for that for yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh something else I never noticed before when uh Peter is selling his photos for the first time to JJJ, 
Uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, front page news, Spider-Man, hero or menace. And he's like, well, that, that's not true. He was helping those people. And he goes, all right, Atticus, look. <laughs> uh, I mean, you so know, funny. top five casting of all casting decisions of all time. Maybe I, I you could easily argue the number one. Yeah. I mean, fuck. Like, yeah, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so perfect. They couldn't think they, they have yet. They have never recasted him. Right. He is the only live action J. Jonah Jameson outside of like that show from the 70s. Right. Yes. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Just a, just a joy. I mean, like yeah, there's the, the energy and pep and humor that just the Daily Bugle office has. Mm-hmm. Like you love everyone in that bullpen and you remember them. Yep. Because they're just so much fun. Yeah. That Robbie, is, you got that. That is one of the things, too, is like because this movie is such a it, I don't know how they balanced the throwback vibes of this uh, because there's so much like 40s screwball stuff, but also like 40s, like schmaltzy romance and like yeah. all of that 40s vibes. But then Macy Gray and Nickelback, you know, like <laughs> Yeah, and now that has become like again going back to like you know the kids who were two or one when this came out, and now they're like adults, like watching this. It Macy Gray and and Nickelback are part of the like ah oh, the good old days, you yeah. know. Yeah, but I think at the time we were hungry for that. Mm-hmm. Like we wanted something that felt like a throwback and mm-hmm. schmaltzy and ring a ding like. Yeah, because this your, 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 your wife's on the phone. Click. Interestingly enough, this is also um, the era. Yeah, God. Okay, so a couple of things Please, just yeah. ran through my head. So one, <laughs> he Sam Raimi did this again with the Cohen or did this before with the Cohen brothers with Hudsucker Proxy in the mm-hmm. '90s, but that was a flop because the world wasn't yeah. ready for it yet, yeah. right? <laughs> but the then, this? but this is post West Wing. Being like one of the biggest shows on television, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Gilmore Girls being huge, so That's true. a, a huge yeah. the WB series. So we were in this ratatat dialogue sort of mode, that sort of yeah. go back screwball mode already because of those two on television. Yeah. And then Raimi just sort of, I yeah, he just he he hit it, you know, right at the perfect time, mm-hmm. you know, for sure. And I never thought about that before. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, again, this was also before these were like, I mean, this was the, this was a huge movie. This was a triple a, maybe the most expensive movie that came out that year. Yeah. Like, sure. I don't know. I don't know. Like maybe more expensive than two towers and chamber of secrets, but like it, it was, it was also, well, it's also a nebulous budget because as you are want to do, uh, when you make a movie that has been in development hell for a really long time, you, uh, yeah. you siphon all of that into the budget for this yeah and the budget inflates as a result because you want to be able to like write it off and all of yeah finally be able to write off the development of those things because you can't write that you can't write off the development of a thing until the thing happens right like tangled famously is one of the most expensive movies ever made because it had been in development for so long right superman returns also right yeah yeah yeah. because superman returns Um, has the budget for uh superman flyby and um Superman lives. Oh shit. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Um but that but that's to say that being said, this was before superhero movies were like 
the only game in town, mm-hmm. which we're just now starting to maybe see the end of that tunnel, you know, where these were taken very seriously. And the fans were, I mean, like, let's be honest. They, they're afraid of the fans at this point. Yes, correct. They're like afraid of pissing them off and getting doxxed and shit. But yeah, there's a place. It doesn't, it doesn't help that they all act like fucking mob bosses where they're like, where they're, they're looking at the opening of The Flash and they'd be like, wow, it'd be a shame if something happened to your pretty new superhero movie. Um, like all of us not going to see it. Hmm. Maybe hashtag restore the Snyderverse, you fucking pieces of shit. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's like, gross. Uh, like, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's a gross. Gr- it's a gross vibe. That's happening no, right now. It, it, it's gross when it's it's gross when it's Marvel fans. It's gross when it's DC fans. Yes, like I yes. I hate it. But yes. I think there's a pl- a playfulness because everyone's like, we're making a superhero movie. Like yep. this is for kids. This is yep. for families. This is a popcorn movie. So we're not gonna like treat it like it's the most important thing in our lives. But we are gonna like give it our. So I think that helps too. Yeah. Yeah. I you know and I and I mentioned this when I was talking about like going to see this and how like. No one was excited for it that I knew, you know, mm-hmm. because it was just like a movie and like, what are you, a fucking nerd? You know, like yeah. <laughs> that that whole vibe and, and the whole X-Men thing of like, well, they made X-Men cool. That's why that movie worked. Um, and so finding out that this movie made a, made, broke, broke the record for the best opening weekend of all time, then seeing over the course of the next year, it was just Spider-Man everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, permeating pop culture everyone knew spider-man everyone saw spider-man my dad went and saw this movie and took my grandma to see it with him because she remembered him reading spider-man comics when she was when he was a kid brought her and like when you get to the end of the movie my dad tells the story where they're watching the end of the movie and they're doing the 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 funeral you've met my grandmother yeah, yeah. You know, they're they're at the funeral, they're at Norman's funeral and and they're at um the the grave and it's the very end when they kiss, Mary Jane and Peter kiss and then he walks away and then she touches her lips like she rem- she's like, "Wait, I I recognize that." And my dad said that my grandma was like, "Oh my god, she knows who he is." Like out loud. Oh shit. Yeah, because that's great. He she was just so fucking in it because that's mm-hmm. the kind and I don't think she's ever seen any of the other Spider-Man movies, just this one, and probably yeah. just that one time in theaters with my dad. But oh, like, yeah. it got her. It fucking got her. You know? Yeah, because like, it's 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 good filmmaking transcends any kind of like age or culture or because you get when the really good filmmaking gets to that primal like you are in, you are with these characters. Yeah, and I think Raimi was really good at knowing what 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 but mainstream audiences would connect to yeah. because that was the only option at the time. Like yeah. we, we, he, he, he wasn't even thinking about like Madam Webb or the wrecking crew or all. He was like, okay, look, I have to make a gone with the wind style, like epic yep, movie for every capital E everyone. Yeah. And for better and, but for worse and also better, we don't live in that world anymore. And it's good. Like she Hulk, we wouldn't have she Hulk in that world. And That's I love she Hulk. It's very true. Um, But also on that bend, not only did he do that, but he didn't do that at the expense of the source material because this is Spider-Man. Full-blown red and blue tights. Nothing fucking cool about it. No, he was like, no, no, no. Spider-Man is cool. We just have to show the world why. 
Yes. Yeah. I, we don't have to make Spider-Man cool. Spider-Man is cool. Mm-hmm. I think he's exactly. cool. He is cool. I'm going to show the world why he's cool. And everyone else will agree. And he fucking did it. <laughs> he did. Yeah. And I think, and I think like something similar, I think they were able to accomplish with like Captain America where like, yep. I think you believe in that guy, but like also Scott, like, you know, thinking about, you know, your story with your grandma and how big of a hit this was, it, it reminds me a lot of what's happening right now with the Super Mario Brothers movie mm-hmm. um, where like decades, the decades of people have decades worth of memories of this IP of yeah. this character and so it kind of feels like oh i know this thing but like in a way that feels bigger than i mean everything's based on something nowadays but somehow like super mario brothers feels bigger yeah Um, yeah i'm not comparing those two movies in quality but like well no but but and and even even the pop culture permeation isn't quite the same um yeah just because uh it it doesn't feel like seeing it in theaters is the only way that you can see it. Like I I, I feel like the I, I, like a lot of people know that the movie's going to be on Peacock in like three weeks probably. You know for sure. Yeah, we're in a different culture. <laughs> right. It's it's a different <laughs> culture. But like, yeah. Um. No. I I absolutely I feel what you're saying though, and I think I think you're I think you're 100 percent spot on. It is very similar in that way where it's like we've had video game movies before. Sonic. Here, here's here it is. <laughs> Sonic is the X Men to Super Mario yeah. Brothers Spider Man. Absolutely, yeah. Because I was like, well, we can't just have him be in a weird world with a fat cat with boots and a <laughs> Amy or whatever. No, he has to like land in a world and you know James Marsden. We can have a little Sonic, but Mario was like, no, full on the most Mario ass shit you've ever seen in a movie. We're gonna have all of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that's wild. It's just happening again. History repeating yeah. itself. And I read this quote from the director where he was like, I didn't really think about the fans because I'm a fan. So I just put everything I wanted in a Mario movie. And it just, he's a popular dude. We, you know, we all, we all kind of want the same stuff out of that guy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) Uh, So a lot has been said about Willem Dafoe's face. Yes. And how, you know, like he didn't even need a mask. That's, you know, Mm -hmm. but I love that masks in superhero movies reveal more than they hide. Mm. Like Norman is the green goblin mask. Like mm-hmm. that, that's his true self mm-hmm. and Spider-Man's mask. You know, Peter, you know, I, I hunch, I wear glasses. He hides himself, mm-hmm. but with the suit, when he's hiding himself in the suit, he gets to finally become who he is, which mm-hmm. is like this selfless, hero that will put himself on the line for his fellow New Yorkers. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's why is, I like Batman Returns. I, I also think that there's an interesting element of um uh early in the movie when he is first discovering his powers after the fight with with Flash. Mm-hmm. Climbing up the wall, you know, jumping, the woos, all of that yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> um I I I I you know there's a there's an aspect to like Spider Man's origin which I don't think they've redone really because like the the Andrew Garfield version of it is like very like kind of like just kind of petty like just just like a quick <laughs> petty moment you know like a petty moment not like a not like a whole thing that he's going through you know of, right, of like yeah. letting the the burglar go out because of the penny take a penny leave a penny thing yeah um, I missed the part where that's my problem <laughs> right yeah none of that none of that happens 
in the in the Garfield one. It's just very like crazy random happenstance. Yeah. Um here though, like adding to like the mythic quality of all of this and, and everything, um, you know, going back to like the comic origin of of Peter Parker, he is he gets the Spider Man powers and with great power comes great responsibility. Well, how does he use them irresponsibly, right? It's right. The, the lack of doing something is not the irresponsible use of your powers. It yeah. is – you have to actively do something, right? And so mm-hmm. in the comics, he is actively a showboating asshole because he's yes. never – he's been a fucking nerd with absolutely no power. Mm-hmm. And he is letting it go to his head, and he's like, "I've never felt like this before. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking, I'm, I'm gonna be a celebrity. I'm gonna be on talk shows. I'm gonna do wrestling matches. I'm gonna be like Andy Kaufman in a Spider-Man costume. You know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna go absolutely ape shit. And then when something bad happens, I'm gonna be like, oh, what? I'm a celebrity. I'm not a hero. Go, like, go. You do yeah, you. Whatever. Sure. You know. <laughs> and 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 that's it. And so and so you take that here and Peter is a huge nerd and he is letting the power go to his head. But it's interesting because the movie is so well crafted that he is letting the power go to his head. And he's like, why can't I use this to get what I want, which is Mary Jane Mm -hmm. and and, you know, respect of my peers and things. And so he's like, how can I use my powers to get a car? You know, Um, (laughs) but you see him experiencing this power for the first time and it's intoxicating for him, you know, leaping yeah. and the woos and the whatever, but Beating also for song. us because it's uh, like a wish fulfillment. Yeah. Totally. Audience. So you're totally on his side so that like when you get to the point where he gets fucked over by, by the, the show promoter yeah. and only given a hundred bucks, because he put on the best fucking show that anyone has ever seen <laughs> yeah. in wrestling ever. Yeah. Um, but it was only two minutes. But it was only two minutes. So fuck you. Um, which is so <laughs> dumb because it's like, I don't even think I brought this up at the time, but it's like, I, like on, on, on Spider-Man Minute. But like, for sure, you're telling me this guy isn't going to be isn't going to have seen that show and not be like, I want you at every fucking show forever. You're my new guy. Fuck Bonesaw. Spider-Man. <laughs> Spider-Man yeah. 10 out of 10. I'm here. Um, you know, this like is now Spider-Man Stadium. You know? yeah, yeah. Like, like, fuck you. Like, that would never happen. Like, he, he would never dismiss this guy out of hand. Um, no, but, for sure. But in all of that, all of that, you are so totally on his side that when he makes the mistake and lets the guy go, you're kind of a part of you that's like, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, like, good on for him. Peter. You know? Yeah. And then, and then when you see the ramifications of it, you are right there with Peter. Yeah. You're, yeah, again, yeah, you're you are with him every step of the way. So, like, when he finds Uncle Ben on the street, you're like, oh, no. And then when he's like, oh, fuck, because he did the thing and you feel bad for him. Yeah. As opposed to, like, you idiot. Like, But also what you happened. feel a little guilty. Yeah, because you were there with him. You were, like, you were oh, celebrating it. Yeah. I was happy when that happened. You know? Yeah. Oh, boy. There's still a part of me that's happy it happens every time. Yeah, every yeah, time I fucking such a watch dick. it. Yeah, because <laughs> he's such a dick. Yes, you could have tore that guy apart. <laughs> and I think now he's getting away with my money. My money. He's such a fucking <laughs> asshole. Even after that happens, he's still an asshole. Yeah. My money. Money. <laughs> so there's that moment on the roof where where goblins like, hey man, like we're better than them. Yeah. Like. 
we're that's our job. They lift us up and they drop us down. And I think it helps that we've had so much. We've seen so much New York up to that point. Like we've seen the montage of the citizens and everything. And again, like Patrick Williams video said this, and that's a great video, but like it helps just make the world feel more alive. And I think that adds to the stakes. Yeah. 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 I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, also, uh, low key, mm-hmm. one of the best Thanksgiving movies ever. Absolutely. One of the um, worst Thanksgivings, but one of the best Thanksgiving movies. Yeah. Like, well, cause the whole movie, cause you have a parade, which isn't, the Macy's Day That's, Parade, even though it is a parade with Day floats parade. that feature Macy Gray. Yeah. Um, it was Macy's Day, but it was not the Macy's Day Parade. No. Yes. Um, it was Macy Gray's Parade. <laughs> the Macy Maybe Gray it was her parade, idea. Not Maybe the Macy's she came Day to Parade. The, yeah. Maybe she yeah. came to like Mayor, to Mayor, Mayor Giuliani's office and she was like, World Unity Day. Yeah. So, so you have the World Unity Day, um, which, you know, in a way, I guess Thanksgiving is sort of that. you know not in reality you know but like the the legend the lore of thanksgiving is is two sides of the world uniting in like a meal you know but Mm -hmm. yeah it's also the timeline of this movie is kind of loosey-goosey where in in classic movie fashion you don't know if this takes place over like six months a year you know it's like they graduate and now it's thanksgiving like but but the third but the third act definitely takes place thanksgiving to black friday for sure yeah Um, it's a bullet it really just ramps up yeah you that's the i think that's my favorite part about the third act of this movie is that you don't see it coming because you don't realize how close to the third act you are when you're in that thanksgiving sequence like you're Mm -hmm. in that thanksgiving scene and you're like okay like cool it's thanksgiving now and you're oh oh, shit shit. oh fuck it's happening okay wow Oh, oh my god he attacked aunt may oh my god he has mj yeah. Oh, oh wow. This is, we're, we're doing it. Yeah, um, yeah. I love that. So, you know, during the big fight at the end where they both get their asses kicked and it's bloody and it's violent. Uh, it reminded me a lot of Evil Dead, mm-hmm. specifically Evil Dead Rise, mm-hmm. where the goblin uses the real Norman to try and like coax Peter out. Like, oh, mm-hmm. and also notably, because we, we learned it's all BS. Like, Norman's actually, like, you know, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. But what he does say is he's like, it was the goblin. He takes no responsibility. Right. He, all power, no responsibility. Right. Right. That's true. Yeah. And that's what, yeah. And then, you know, I had a father. His name was Ben Parker. It's like a top 10 line for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I just, I right. just like, and I, and I love, I love that I had a father, uh, his name was Ben Parker. And then he's just like, I wasn't listening. Godspeed Spider-Man. <laughs> you know, like it's such a big moment. Is. It's such a big yeah. moment for Peter, but Norm was yeah. like, I don't, I truly do not give a shit. I'm just like, was that his name? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you and Zach talk about how Norman gets stabbed through the dick by his glider? No. It was a family show. Okay. Yeah. But he definitely <laughs> does. True. So so at what point, looking forward to No Way Home, at what point does he get pulled from the timeline? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, um, mm, Cause like we don't because we never see him. We never see any of them get pulled. We never see them fall through their portal. No. Um I'm guessing it's like somewhere post the World Unity Parade. Oh, okay. So so 
Uh, that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Is that is that maybe is that too late? I, you think? I feel like it's happening right before the glider okay. gets him. Oh, oh, that's true. Because they're like, uh, like I remember. Because like uh, Otto and the lizard and Electro, that's their moments. Is they were at they were about to die. Right. So you can only assume. Yeah, I think that's really safe. Yeah. Where it's like Godspeed, Spider. <laughs> 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 And, and that version of Toby is like, what? What, what happened? <laughs> what the hell did was I, that? that? Did I win? <laughs> Goes home that night. He's like, uh, I don't know. where's my dad? Peter, my dad hasn't called in like three days. Uh, I don't know. Why are you asking me? Why are you asking me? <laughs> wow. So like, are those, are they each from a different universe? I well because they go back right oh but they go back they, fixed yeah I don't know that we're gonna have to talk about that in, we will. in, in detail with Zach um, when <laughs> oh, we when we wait. get to No Way Home yeah um, reveal yeah. listener that, that uh, Zach will be our guest uh, he'll be jumping through a portal Zendaya will throw bread at him yes we have Zach and I have unfinished business and it's uh, Tobey Maguire Spider Man. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's finish what we started. I think so. So you're Toby. Am I Tom? Am I? Am I? Am I Peter one? I guess. I mean, I. We can't Zach, be Zach Peter three. No, Zach. Zach would be so pissed off to be Andrew Garfield. <laughs> okay, I'll be Andrew Garfield because he's my boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, you. So I guess he's Tom Holland. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's true. Um, he does the. He does a pretty good Tom Holland, so that makes sense. I uh, um, can't wait to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> My Tom Holland's just like, oh, I'm so happy to be in your movie, Mister Feige. <laughs> um, I, I just, I just fucking love this movie. I, I will mm-hmm. also say, you know what's really crazy is that it takes until the World Unity Festival before you get Spider-Man in action, like a full-blown action scene with Spider-Man. That's true, and it doesn't feel like it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. We get little flashes of him in like that montage um, after the funeral as time is passing. Like, like, right. like my summer vacation by, yeah. by, by <laughs> Peter Parker um, is is that little montage. Um, Not to be confused with Preeti Cheever's book, My Summer Vacation by Peter Parker. Right, right. That's or, true. That is very true. Um, but yeah, the, the whole the sequence like, uh, you know, a guy with eight legs sounds hot. Nice. Um is that Lucy Lawless? Yes, it is. Okay. Yeah, because of her uh, relationship playing Xena on Sam Raimi's Xena Warrior Princess. Ah, oh, that's so great. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, he's got ropes he throws out of his hands. and <laughs> Yeah, like real looking New Yorkers. It's great. Yeah. Um, I think that guy is a real New Yorker. I'm pretty sure they interviewed a bunch of random New Yorkers to just be like, hey, describe what Spider-Man is. And then he, <laughs> he was like describing what Spider-Man ropes. does from his memory. Yeah. You know, yeah. because there's no Spider-Man movie to like draw a reference from. He's just he's talking he's about just Spider-Man like, as like as like a concept from comics and cartoons and stuff. And popsicles. Yeah. <laughs> popsicles. Yeah. And yeah. And like, I think this wasn't this is not a movie that was made for the fans. Mm-mm. It It was made by a fan for everyone, for everyone. I wish. I think that is the definitive thing that makes this movie, in particular, this movie, 
mm-hmm. because Spider-Man 2 is its own thing. Spider-Man 3 is its own thing. But this mm-hmm. particular movie, the thing that makes this movie so special and so iconic and why watching this makes my heart hurt is because I wish someone would make a movie again that isn't for the fans. That is a mo- yeah. that is because they're a fan and they want to share that with the world. Yeah. I can't remember the last movie that felt like that. Yeah, we're yeah, we're like no, like this is for everyone. Like I want to I want people to I want no matter where you came from, no matter what you what you were like in high school or how old you are, or what country you're from or what language you speak, like you I want you when you sit down in this movie theater, you're going to go on this journey and you're going to feel the way I I felt I felt about Spider-Man since I was a boy. Yeah. And that's just not what these movies are anymore. No. It's like, well, the fans have been waiting to see Adam Warlock for a long time. And so now we're finally bad example because that movie is probably going to rip. Like, I, I haven't seen it yet. But like, you know, just like the language and the like, I yeah, like, uh, again, going back to like the hostage situation that these filmmakers have with the fan base nowadays. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because like, that's partially why I'm so scared of Fantastic Four, mm. uh, because yeah. I feel like it's their last shot to do something like that, to do. Right. Because we haven't had a Fantastic Four movie where the director was just like, no, this is the Fantastic Four movie that's been in my heart. And yeah. I want to share it with the world and show everybody what makes these guys so cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a little afraid that, like, once again, we're not going to get that. And it's not going to be what everyone wants. It'll probably be fine because, like, most MCU movies are at least fine. But, yeah. like, it's not going to be this. It's not going to be a love letter to something like that you're sharing with the world, you know? Yeah. Maybe hopefully <clears throat> Superman legacy. Oh yeah, that's true. That could be it. Maybe. God, I hope so. Like, I hope so. But I've said this before on a podcast, but like, I think every comic book character deserves a Sam Raimi to make their movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, because that's also how I feel about the Flash. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um. I mean, I don't. I'm not. I can't. I don't have the schedule up, so I'm not sure when this is airing. Uh, this episode. I don't know. Maybe the Flash is already out. Um. But like, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem to me that that movie is getting made because anyone involved in it is just like, well, we have to make a Flash movie because the Flash right, is the yeah. best, and like, I can't wait to show you all how great the Flash is. Like, it yeah, feels with like. To- how have yeah. we not already done this? We should probably just do this. Yeah, let's make a Flash movie. But, I mean, like, f- who cares about the Flash? We need we need Michael Keaton Batman. We need Supergirl. We need Zod. We need right. Christian Bale Batman. We, we got to need... justify making a Flash movie by making it a DC crossover movie. Yeah. And, like, as someone like you who knows, like, no, the Flash is the shit. I love the Flash. Yeah. The Flash is more than enough to just stand on his own and just make a cool Flash movie. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. Yeah, it but, is. It's a super bummer. Like <laughs> it's a super bummer. Super bummer. Um, yeah, wow. yeah. So, yeah, it's like is this a three hour episode? I don't know. Yeah, probably close to it. Um, makes sense. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. It makes sense. Um, uh, any closing thoughts on Sam Raimi Spider Man? Hey, look, it's a great fucking movie. Great movie. It's available on Disney Plus now, which is how we watched it. I watched it on my 4K. 
Because I was oh, like, I, I, I bought it on 4K and I haven't cracked it open yet. And I was like, oh, oh. man. And I got to be, I got to tell you guys, fucking banger 4K transfer. I oh, was nice. I was like blasted back in my seat because I was like, I'm noticing details I've never noticed before. I feel like I'm watching this in a theater. Like this looks incredible. So that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, was the was the was the mannequin Spider Man that Kristen Dunst is clinging to famously when they're swinging? Was that like more noticeable? Uh, I don't know. I I didn't, I didn't pay that close. I will say I it's just that like the details in the costume are really like shockingly. Oh, cool! Like detailed, like you can just yeah see everything. Um, it's just it's really it's great. It's great, really good transfer. Yeah. So, so uh, ends our first chapter. We're, it, it really it hit, it hit me at one point. Like, oh, we're we're doing all of these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so next week it'll be it'll be a similar thing. You know, some some throwback Spider-Man minute content, and then this conversation like like Nick and I are just having. Same thing with Spider-Man three. Um, the amazing Spider-Man movies will be, uh, there'll be a little of extra content from us, um, that we're going to record, but it'll mostly be those Patreon episodes. So if you've heard those before, cause you're a Patreon supporter, thank you. Um, and, uh, I'm sorry, you will have a two week break, uh, from the show. Apologies. Um, but then <laughs> we'll have, um, uh, the homecoming trilogy after that Three. and into the Spider-Verse. So yeah, yeah. some very fun guests planned. It's all it's of those, yeah. All of those are going to be just like regular franchiseography episodes. Um, yeah, for no, sure. no regurgitated material in any of those. And I think the coup de gras is bringing Zach back to talk about No Way Home. Um, so there you go. Can't wait. Yeah, me either. Well, uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, remember, with great power comes great responsibility. And they say that a hero can save us. I'm not gonna stand here and wait. I'll hold on to the wings of the eagles. Watch as we go fly away. And they're watching us. They're watching us. Yes, we Watching